Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic illustrated novel multimedia experience Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me as usual is Cameron. Yep. My inverted brother. Uh, what now? My inverted brother. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, this is episode eight, part three, um, for which we read some stuff. Uh, if you're a listener who didn't read along. Hey, wait, I got something to talk about. Okay. There's a little thing that exists right now. Oh, really? A little thing that exists right now? Maybe a big thing that exists right now. Uh-huh. You remember, uh, when all those guys were on that island? Oh, yeah. There were some women there, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a hatch. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was uh, an island paradise, and they were trapped uh-huh. there, and they couldn't leave, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I looked over and whispered, they're F-boys. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. It's happening again. <gasps> the, the polar bear appears on stage. <laughs> it is happening again. That that flavor of F-Boy you like is coming back in style. <laughs> yeah, F-Boy Island updates. What's going on? Hey, F-Boy Island. It's the part I like talking about on the show. Uh, mm-hmm. F-Boy Island's back, season two. I think we've got mm-hmm. ten episodes or eight episodes, something like that. We've got a fair number of episodes that exist Do right now. Do they all now. post at once, or is it like a weekly thing? I, it's two at a time, I think. Okay. I don't really know. Uh, I think it's two at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's on HBO Max, if you care about that. If that's a thing that you were interested in. But let me tell you this about the F-Boys. Uh, as we previously previously established, F-Boy Island is a Homestuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Homestuck made this world. And it, it so much so is that season two of F-Boy Island begins with two episodes in which the F-Boys themselves uh, debate the rules of F-Boy Island <laughs> constantly. <laughs> because they're uh, Peter Park... A.K.A. the Korean Poppy on Instagram. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Peter Park, from the fir- he's the first F-boy, I believe the first F-boy, eliminated from season one. And so he got to come back. And also <laughs> okay. so did the runner-up, Casey. Uh-huh. Oh, no, Casey. Yeah, they're back. <laughs> and so all the F-boys are going around privately, and they're never talking to the girls about this, but they're going around privately, and they're going, hey, you can't come back, can you? You can't, like, that's not, that's not allowed. You can't do it. And so they're constantly arguing with one another and each other about, like, what are the rules of this made-up program? Uh-huh. Additionally, the show has really leaned into editing for jokes in a way that is really great. There's one guy. Uh, his name is maybe Josh or something. I don't know. I can't. It's really hard to keep everyone straight. <laughs> Sounds like an F boy name. It, it, uh, look, here's the thing. Even if they're a nice guy, they're F boys <laughs> to me. But uh, but every time, so he like cries all the time. He they've showed like social media posts from him uh, from before the island, and he uh, because of course time is split into before the island and after the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he's like one of those. Uh, he's like uh, my hands look like these, so hers can look like this uh, okay. kind of guys, yeah. right? Like uh, I I was I was her king and she was my queen, like that kind of like mm-hmm. epic goofballism, right? That yeah. is like so dominant among American heterosexuality at this moment for some reason. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's like a million reasons, but. 
Uh, so he's one of those, but uh, he's crying all the time. Because the show does two things, right? It, it loves to make fun of the very idea of, of the F-boy, right? Like, there are these men going around uh, sexually exploiting women, all this kind of... And they're bad, right? And they should be punished. But right. also, if you're not the right kind of man, you should also be made fun of. Right, naturally. Right? Which, again, it's like Hussey's there, right? It's like, <laughs> right? Like, everyone yeah. gets, like, scattershot exploded by this uh, masculinity critique here. Uh, like, there, there's no good way to be a person on F-Boy Island. Right. No one can be correct. It's very Lacanian. <laughs> way. Oh, no, it's yeah. Kierkegaard, right? No one can be right in the eye of God? That's, yes, that's yeah. That's Kierkegaard. <laughs> I mean, that's also, it's also pretty Lacanian. Frankly. Yeah, it gets folded into Lacan. But, yeah. um, anyways, this Josh guy shows up, and uh, he's constantly crying in the one-on-ones. Like, just, he's this big muscle guy, and he like, has, like, no body hair. And he's constantly looking into the camera as like a sad boy uh, mm-hmm. and just weeping about the, the woman he's interested in on this reality dating show, and uh, which whatever. And they constantly play a tuba noise over him <laughs> <laughs> while he cries. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. But it's, you know, again, it's this kind of like... Um, you know, because all reality TV knows that it must repeat with a difference, right? It cannot be the same because mm-hmm. if it's the same. And so it's like this show more than any other reality show I've ever seen has had to like quadruple down on the weirdness in order to like make it keep going. Uh, mm-hmm. It is very similar to Drag Race in that way <laughs> where like it's the the oddity of season to season that like pushes, you know, the thing forward, the things they're asked to do. Um, they had to do a hot pepper challenge. Here's oh the thing I, I'm not a, that I didn't know, which maybe I should have. Within like bro culture of our current moment, the most important thing is like respect. Uh huh. Did Did you know this? I I kind of had the the sense of it that this is like the watchword of of the day. So it's like you know I don't know. I just I respect him too much. You know I gotta mm-hmm. respect that. I can't do anything right. And so it's like all these people who are trying to dodge any and all responsibility for anything they've ever said or done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either whether it was two minutes ago or 10 years ago with, look, I just respect, I respect it too much to say, to say too much here. So they had to do a hot pepper challenge of like, um, like truth or dare. Mm-hmm. And they had to like talk shit about each other and they just ate the peppers every time. Like big babies. <laughs> and then one guy, rather than say anything negative about these men who were like, some of whom are horrible, right? And they're like yelling right. at one another and like calling each other stupid. <laughs> like they're awful. Mm-hmm. And uh and and they were I just I respect I can't talk, I can't speak about another man that way. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Serrano peppers, whatever. <laughs> Habanero peppers. And then the SoundCloud rapper had to go get some milk and they called him a coward. <laughs> <laughs> Do not respect the SoundCloud rapper. They don't. Anyway, that's F Boy Island season two update. You got any questions about uh, F Boy Island season two? Um. So how were they hand? Like, so do the women know that two of the F Boys are back? Like, are they aware that they were on the previous season, or how's that working? Yes. So they have seen okay. the previous season, and I actually okay. allowed uh, uh, Peter to make his way pretty far into the competition. It's not really spoiling anything, so he's made it pretty far. Uh, but uh, yeah, because. He was on the previous season. And he's famous. Okay. 
Right. I mean, I just I didn't know if they like selected for women who hadn't watched the previous season or something. If there was like an additional <laughs> angle there, if the women got to be in on this too, uh, they went to the farthest reaches of North Dakota to find. Uh-huh. To, to, no, they, no, they all know because they're all like social media people. Okay. Like every single person involved, right, is like recruited off of Instagram. Oh, of course, yes. Um, and some are great. You know, I got I got people I'm holding out for who have no no way of winning there's no mm-hmm. chance like zero but they're just good and entertaining when they show up so i you know, we're more than two we're probably two-thirds of the way through the season and like there's this dude asante from atlanta there's mm-hmm. no chance this dude's gonna win but he's just fun to be around and so they leave him on the show yeah it's good it's good mm-hmm. thank there's you a, the there's a guy from uh, new york who, oh who's an electrician Mm-hmm. And he talks like this. He talks like this the whole time. Eh, eh, wise guy, eh? eh. <laughs> uh, there's Mikey D. Okay. Who, uh, who, who uh, kind of looks like a Jersey Shore guy, but uh, reveals a few episodes in that he's Armenian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> His name's like Mikey Detessian or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. That is that is a pretty good. Uh, uh. Mm-hmm. There's a gamesy. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. There's just uh, so there's. I'm not going to reveal who it is. No, I'm going to reveal okay. who it is. It's Garrett from season one, the villain. Ooh, from season one, he is back mm-hmm. as the king of Limbro. <laughs> oh and he, shit! And he like allows them to do things. It was pretty clear to me that they had more ideas for him than they ended up putting in the show because he's not not really in it a lot. But yeah, he wears like ripped up, torn black jeans and a black t-shirt. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, so he's back. You know, there's, so there's like this this little gremlin king running around in the background just doing stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, he might as well be uh, honking a horn. Yeah, He shows exactly. up occasionally. He showed up on the, uh, like with the guys and the gals at this point. Mm-hmm. He showed up and he just walks around and talks to people. <laughs> <laughs> does weird shit in the background of scenes stirs up shit comes in uh-huh. says peter's a peter's an f boy mm-hmm. he's hitting on people's girlfriends it gets wild <laughs> but, oh there you uh, go but yeah at this point in the show that we've gotten they have revealed their quote-unquote status which is like a class spec for people who are unfamiliar mm-hmm. with uh physical reality <laughs> and they are uh the they they are you know they had to say this is, but you know, there's like ten people left. They had to say, "Are you an F boy, or are you a nice guy?" And then they just eliminated a bunch of nice guys. Because <laughs> here's the deal, Michael. This is the this is the truth that no one wants to say. Mm-hmm. Nice guys are boring. Yeah, yeah, they're not interesting. It's it's yeah, it's hard out here for people who believe that because it's, it's we're constantly hard out here for a country boy who loves dubstep. I mean, that would be your thing, right? If you were on this show. Oh yes, absolutely. You would you would be the country boy who loves dubstep, yeah. Because they're <laughs> all like they be, all have a you know a brand. I may be a country boy, but I love dubstep. Right. You'd wear a hat. There is a guy who it's the guy who cries all the time, but uh, oh, he wears no. a cowboy hat constantly. Mm, Jack and my swagger. I <laughs> really, you would have to wear a hat and a vest to, at mm-hmm. the same time to distinguish yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. That's the update. Yep. Thank you for the F-Boy Island update. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. Now, what's this silly garbage you want to talk about? <sighs> okay. What's this cartoon for children you want to discuss? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
today I want to talk about uh, <laughs> Homestuck. Okay. This is something. Uh, if you're not of someone who reads along, um, just so you know, like it will become very clear the second I start my summary. Uh, but this is uh, a hellacious little run of reading Homestuck that we had before us. Uh, I kind of, well, I'll I'll rationalize and justify my ways uh, uh, after I guess maybe uh, I've gone over it. And we can get into it, but I can say that. At multiple points in our Discord, people have said things to the effect of, like, this is the the absolute low point of Homestuck. Mm. Uh-huh. And I and that's not that's not, I think, like a unique perspective to our Discord, right? I'm pretty sure that if you went out and started polling people, uh, you would probably have many, many folks who uh considered this kind of a low point. In fact, um, I've said before that Act 6 is where a lot of people who were reading in the first half drop off. Uh, and I have had multiple people now mention, basically, uh, that they stopped reading during this chunk. Um like, if you stopped reading during Act 6, it feels like it happened, uh, in broadly speaking, maybe one of two ways. One, uh, you just stopped reading during one of the hiatuses, because we've got a couple of those on the horizon. Um, you know, you just, like, the, the update stopped, you didn't read it, and you just never kind of, like, went back and finished it. Or, you got to the stuff we read for today, and you were like, F this. I, that, that is fascinating to me. I didn't find that. I mean, I find the content of what is in the episode today, uh, part of episode today, uh, supremely insulting mm-hmm. <laughs> to anyone who enjoys Homestuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, like massively insulting. Um, but I didn't. It, it is interesting. I didn't find it like unbearable. That that is partially because I created a hack. Uh huh. That was not available to people like ten years ago when this came out. Great. I uh, will. We'll talk all about uh, hacks and exploits. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> Once I've I've finished. Now I got to tell you actually what happened here. By all means. Okay. This is. <clears throat> I'm like a you know when the gymnast like chalks up their hands. This is what I'm doing. Like you got to get that. You got to get that. That noise. It's not like a. It's not quite a clap. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Act 6, Intermission 3 begins as Mina sees Lord English's attack on the Dream Bubbles shatter the furthest ring. She excitedly sets out to raise an army to take on the new threat, though Arania tells her that the better bet would be to find a legendary and long-prophesied figure in the Dream Bubbles, the ghost of English's sister, for whom he is reputedly searching. Mina thinks the army idea sounds better, and decides to ask the other antecedent trolls for help. None of them want to, but that doesn't mean we don't get to meet all these weirdos, called Dancestors, because they are both descendants and ancestors of the characters we know. And they are... <clears throat> Cancree, Karkat's Dancestor. He is a parody of quote-unquote Tumblr SJWs and speaks in ponderous, lengthy, and self-serving ways about social oppression, much of which he is implied to make up for the sake of chastising others while dropping absurd piles of trigger warnings. Porum, 
Kanaya's ancestor. She is a cool alt girl with lots of tattoos and piercings. She talks about feminism, pointing out that while pre-scratch troll society had a nominally matrilineal government, positions of power were still mostly filled by men. Also, just to get this out there, pre-scratch trolls called their planet Before Us. Like B-E-F-O-R-U-S. Mm-hmm. Boy, Before did they, us. boy, did mm-hmm. they do that. If if I had had a, a whole, not to interrupt the summary here, but if I'd had a, a mouthful of water, when I read that for the first time, I would have spit it out comically. <laughs> Latula, Terezi's ancestor. She is a rad 90s skateboarding gamer girl. When Terezi meets her, she feels insecure about how much more radical Latula is, but Carcat reassures her that Terezi doesn't need to front so hard. Cronus. Aridin's ancestor. Once upon a time, he thought he was destined to duel an evil magician locked outside the universe, but he's given up on that, instead becoming a parody of other kin. Having spent his millennia in the dream bubbles, he now believes that while he was born a troll, he has the soul of a human, and he walks around dressed like a 1950s greaser. He also basically sucks in all the same ways Aridin did, with maybe the exception of murder. Matuna. Sullux's ancestor. He is a foul-mouthed leet speaker who wildly seesaws between depressive mumblings and profanity-laden diatribes formatted to look like 4chan posts. He apparently wasn't always like this, but something happened long ago that burned out his psychic powers and gave him brain damage. He and Latula are dating. Mulan, Nepeta's ancestor. She's hyper-excited about everything and often speaks with 2012 Tumblr-era reaction gifs. She is also at least partially deaf, since she was in the vicinity when her boyfriend awoke from a horrific nightmare and let out an unearthly scream. Speaking of which, Curlos, Gamzee's ancestor. He is a weird goth mime who chewed off his tongue and sewed his lips shut after he had a horrific nightmare that made him scream so loud it made Mulan go deaf. They are still dating and speak to each other with sign language. Also, he is mind-controlling her into being his accomplice as he aids Gamzee in assembling a fake god-tier outfit and delivers him Crowbar from the Felt's Magic Crowbar, which, by the way, along with all the other Felt members' weird objects, are now reclassed as Magic MacGuffins. Anyway, Curlos is bad news and absolutely on board with whatever shit Gamzee is planning due to what I guess is their shared clown religion. It is implied he is also the reason Matuna burned out his psychic powers. Rufio. Spelled with a terminal H, this is Tavros's ancestor. He grew wings long before troll adulthood and lived in the forest with a bunch of other trolls called the Lost Weaboos. He talks like Dante Bosco and was at the center of a bloody love triangle during the ancestor's game session. But to tell you about that, I need to tell you about Horus. Equius's ancestor. He is a steampunk enthusiast who also suspects he may be a multiple system containing many distinct souls. He embarked upon a secret relationship with Rufio while Rufio was still seeing someone else. The slighted lover then killed Rufio, and Horus helpfully affixed his head to a giant metal horse body, a situation only remedied by a later dream self-resurrection. Still, the slighted lover persists, and her name is... Damara. 
Aradia's ancestor. She speaks in Japanese derived from Google Translate, and most of what she says is sexually explicit vulgarities and threats of violence, often intermixed. After she found out Rufio was cheating on her with Horus, Mina bullied her so relentlessly that Damara snapped, killed Rufio, and then killed Mina, which helped the latter ascend to god tier. In any case, afterward she sabotaged the game session in any way she could, including initiating the scratch that gave Lord English dominion over the trolls, and now actively hopes for the failure of everything and everyone. All of these folks are basically useless, but Mina does meet up with Carcat, who is on board with the idea of helping her develop a plan to fight Lord English directly. On the battleship, John celebrates his 15th birthday with Jade by watching Con Air, but he is disgruntled by his sudden realization that the movie sucks and is cheesy, like Dave always said it was. Jade tries to calm him down, but the attempt is derailed by the indirect revelation that not only were she and Dave Sprite dating, but they have recently broken up, which is why Dave Sprite didn't come to the birthday party. That didn't stop him from leaving John a note congratulating him on acquiring some taste, and John is so upset he passes out. In the Dream Bubbles, he encounters and fights Jack Noir, who is still on the run from PM. John then wanders into a desert landscape filled with majestic horses, where he stumbles upon a plain gold ring and Tavros. Tavros claims the ring is his, that he found it first, and he's going to use it to propose to his girlfriend, Vriska. But she really doesn't have time for romance, since she's planning her own offense on Lord English. After noting that he tends to attack high concentrations of ghosts, and that his attacks on the furthest ring are actually changing the previously unmappable and discontinuous space into something, well, more mappable and continuous, Vriska suspects creating large gatherings of ghosts could be a way to lure English into helping her navigate the furthest ring and locate a legendary hidden treasure said to be the key to defeating him. On the meteor, Rose has gotten drunk out of nervousness for a date she's arranged with Kanaya. They head off for a stroll around the meteor together, during which they hear Gamzee honking away in the vent shafts, where he's been hiding mysteriously for two years. Rose mentions she thinks he and Terezi have gotten into a spade-style relationship, which could pose problems with regard to both Karkat and Dave. She decides to take on the responsibilities of the mediating party in this tobacco, per the dictates of troll culture, though Kanaya has doubts. Rose assuages her by pulling Kanaya in for a kiss, and then with a drunken smile on her face, falls down some stairs. Back in the Dream Bubbles, Mina runs into John, Vriska, and Tavros and invites them to join her army. Vriska won't stand for being part of someone else's plan, and the two of them begin arguing over who deserves to be the bigger badass fighting the ultimate villain, attracting a huge number of troll ghosts in the process. We see some of Calliope's fan art, showing her troll Sona intervening as Mina and Vriska prepare to duke it out. Caliborn defaces it and rips it from the book he's holding, taking us to a panel of Calliope's Trollsona waking John, who got stabbed by Mina during the fight. John now actually wakes, and to his utter shock, finds the ring he grabbed from Tavros in the Dream Bubbles, somehow still in his hand. Act 6, Intermission 3 ends. Act 6, Act 4 begins. Jane, Jake, Roxy, and Dirk spend months hanging out in their game session, solving puzzles and fighting monsters. Jake and Dirk get complimentary tattoos. Their session's Jack Noir keeps time during his interminable stay in prison on Prospect. Act 6, Act 4 ends. Act 6, Intermission 4 begins as we assume the perspective of Caliborn. 
Finally freed from his bedroom, he wanders the wasteland of Earth, which is littered not only with the ruins of shitty Statues of Liberty, but the rusted machinery of Homestuck's act-break curtain mechanisms. Roxy contacts him and says Calliope's name, but since Calliope is dead, nothing happens. During Caliborn's long walk, he becomes briefly aware that his thoughts are being narrated by a sarcastic voice in his head. Before this gets too weird, he is distracted by a distant radio tower marked with the MS Paint Adventures logo. On his way toward it, he is greeted by none other than fake god-tier Gamzee, who wordlessly offers to be his friendly guide. Caliborn opts to shoot him with a machine gun instead, and then makes his way to the radio tower, where a screen displays the textual narration that we are reading that is also describing Caliborn thoughts and actions. Irritated, Caliborn uses a nearby keyboard to tell the voice in his head to shut up. Andrew Hussey, in typical fashion, keeps talking, and so Caliborn begins arguing with the narration, demanding answers about what's happening. Hussey plays coy, telling Caliborn that the proper way to go on an adventure isn't to get all your answers from an omniscient narrator. Instead, he should have accepted Gamzee as his guide. In fact, Gamzee turns out not to be dead since, as Hussey explains, rascally clowns just won't die and often do things that don't make sense. Case in point, despite the repeated shootings, Gamzee is still a huge fan of Caliborn and helps him manipulate the radio tower, allowing him to activate an additional screen that shows Calliope's dream corpse. Caliborn, whose keyboard has been modified to make him type in all caps rather than his regular style of all caps plus a lowercase u, now samples her blood color, turning his text a familiar shade of lime green. Gamzee also presents him with the magic crowbar, which Caliborn uses to beat the shit out of Gamzee and then whack the radio tower, briefly scrambling the MS Paint Adventures website. To calm Caliborn down, Hussey sheds some light on his quest. It involves solving all sorts of tedious puzzles to find keys, which he will then use on various locks on the radio tower in order to activate additional screens, showing him different scenes of the Alpha Kids in their game session. Doing this will eventually unlock the door to the lair of Caliborn's denizen, a creature called Yaldabaoth, which now slumbers in Earth's dead core, at which point Caliborn will be offered a choice and then his true game will begin. In short, Caliborn will be subject to the most difficult game imaginable in return for his hubris of embarking upon a single-player session, also known as a dead session. Caliborn feels that he's up to it, and with Gamzee's additional help, he is very pleased to activate a screen showing the Alpha Kid's Jack Noir in prison, his leg shackled, a situation we might suppose Caliborn can relate to. Act 6, Intermission 4, ends. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Caliborn sucks. Yeah? He's boring. <laughs> uh, say more? He's just a bad little nerd boy. Mm-hmm. Um, here, look, let me, I gotta say this right now. Before we talk about anything of consequence. Uh-huh. Caliborn sees in the distance, in a place that's boring that he keeps saying there's no reason for him to be there. It's disappointing. He thought he was going to have an amazing game, mm -hmm. right? Some truly awesome, excellent game. He thought it was going to follow what was happening, but but actually what's delivered to him is a nowhere place where you have to you have to come to peace with what is there and then find enjoyment in the wasteland, right? Mm -hmm. He follows a big blinking red light to like navigate his way through that place that he ultimately dismisses as a place, right? Like, no, nothing matters, it's only the end goal. Mm -hmm. 
This this section, I believe, is from November of 2012. Yes. Do you know what came out in February of 2012? No. A little video game called Dear Esther, in oh, which yeah. mm-hmm. uh, a character follows a blinking red light, and many gamers responded to it by saying, this sucks, and it's terrible, and it's only what I bring to it, and I don't bring anything to it. So mm-hmm. then, therefore, this game is bad. It's not even a game. Mm-hmm. Just uh, pointing out some, uh, maybe some inner texts here that I, I don't feel like uh, the Homestuck fandom might might uh, uh, grab onto. Mm-hmm. Although maybe they would. I wouldn't know. Uh, Dear Esther does come up in the Something Awful thread on this precise point. My God, there's mm-hmm. nothing I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, I mean, that said, right, it doesn't fo- uh, form its own uh, like layer of discussion, right? It's just someone points yeah. out, it's like, oh, hmm. This reminds me of Dear Esther because of a blinking red light. Well, I, for me, it was like, oh, well, Caliborn is the hateful gamer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, who who uh, has literally no imagination. Mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, that's what's up with Caliborn. <laughs> right. And this is like the, the mediation of a certain type of author-reader interaction, right? This is uh, uh, Caliborn's the person who takes to the form spring just to ask, like, like, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the plot mechanism? Like, what's going to happen next? Right. The the questions that Hussey always responds to with, why would I tell you that? Like, why would I tell you that now? Why would I tell you that here and not in the story? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we can talk uh, uh, more about that because there's actually like more to say a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff is going on in that Caliborn thing with uh, Yaldabaoth and uh, Gamzi. I will say uh, the Hussy Caliborn conversations are probably the highlights of the comic for me after maybe the midpoint. Is that is that Hussy talking? Well, it's like the Hussy narrator figure, right? It's something, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because uh, uh, you know the the strongest uh, point in the favor on on this is uh, Caliborn says, you know, I like. <laughs> Like one day I'm going to kill you to to the narrator right. and uh, the narrator slash hussy says you already did. Right. And then like, you know, mocks him for it. Mm. Uh, you already like you already did kill me in like the quasi future or something. Look, here's the deal. Mm-hmm. If your meta moves j- just start, uh, they make a meta move and what's revealed in the meta move is just the same guy over and over again. <laughs> it's not a meta move. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you've not gone one level out. You you're just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Well, I Seems would like say, a critical distinction. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would say that like I uh the narrator hussy is distinct from I think like visual character hussy. Right. 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 Because that character is like running around in the dream bubbles, like is showing up in in all of these uh dancestor interludes. So again, if you're not reading along, how this works is that in that intermission. Um, you get a fairly lengthy walk around Asmina where you meet all these, a bunch of these characters. Then there's some normal, regular Homestuck panels of other stuff happening. And then another walk around. And there are basically three parts to it, right? All of the mm-hmm. meetings with those, uh, Dancestors are split into three parts and Hussey shows up in every single one as kind of like the weird little Hussey insert character. I like so the then little, we have, uh, pixel Hussey. Yes. Right. I think they look um, great. I think they're fun mm-hmm. looking. Uh, and so then uh, this kind of narrator hussy then uh, is someone who is 
aware of uh, that character having been killed, right? And is also seemingly unaffected by it, right? The the, the vibe I get here actually is uh, like Vonnegut, Breakfast of Champions. Uh, oh, I gotta look up the Breakfast of Champions. Hold on. Um, I gotta look up the Breakfast Champion summary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the one where uh uh Kilgur Trout. Wait, is it, is it Trout who writes the novel? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that uh, the reader of the novel is the only person who has free will. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, and and like everyone else is a robot, and it causes a guy to like lose his mind. Uh, and then eventually, like the narrator, who is like a version of Kurt Vonnegut, is also talking to the characters. Uh, it's it's got a similar vibe as that to me, especially because of uh, how much it uh, is pivoting on this question of like authorship and free will. Right. Caliborn resents having his thoughts like both narrated to him, but also as he describes it, like thoughts are being put into his head. He is he is being made to think about things in ways he doesn't want to think about them. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, like at this point uh, in my historical reading, I get. I am I am both interested and sort of like not skeptical or disappointed, but um, after after Caliborn's entry into the game, uh, and it's clear like this is this is something about like the bad reader and fandom, uh, my and as we already know, of course, like I figured out the end of Homestuck, uh, but the broadest possible way of figuring it out, right? The question for me becomes like, okay, like one, am I right? Because I've experienced this thing in time and I know that any at any given point, like I may be proven wrong or Hussey might decide to change direction or something. Um, but also it's kind of like, I think I know what's happening here, but what are the pieces that are going to like fit together to make it happen? Um, and so uh, with this kind of move with uh, uh, Caliborn, I get really interested in thinking about, well, not thinking about, but um, I am interested in seeing what Hussey's going to do with Caliborn. And then I am sort of slightly disappointed that it's just like talking to Caliborn and telling him not to be a shit, uh, but also in some weird way delighted by the fact that this is a, a, just me reading the forum spring, but in the comic now. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, here's the worst part about Caliborn to me. Mm-hmm. I gotta look at this little gremlin of a guy. Constantly. Okay, I don't care to see him. <laughs> you you don't like uh, skull children? No, it's my least mm. favorite kind of child. <laughs> skull kid. Well, so the other thing that is actually really. Uh, like the questions that I have about what's going on here is that obviously we have Caliborn bad reader. Like he's sort of really entered the story. Now he's talking directly with Andrew Hussey or, and or the narrator. He is aware of like the story in like, he is aware of the artifice of the narrative around him, uh, in a really direct way. Uh, and also, as you say, he's, he's the reader with like the, the little video gamer with no imagination. Um, he's resentful and spiteful and all this stuff. And this is coming right after uh, all of this stuff with the Dancestors, uh, which are, uh, I think I've said this before, right? Like uh, uh, Homestuck Acts 1 through 5 and then Homestuck Acts 6 are kind of like mirrors of each other, right? Think of the fourth walls like set up across from one another. Um, and Hussey talks about some of this in like their Formspring slash Tumblr responses. Um 
that the movements of the early parts of Act 6 mirror the movements of uh, Acts 1 through 4-ish, right? Hmm. Uh, we have a Jane enter that is uh, similar to John enter, but uh, Hussey points this out, like, uh, mixes in elements of, like, uh, uh, the end of Act 2 and the end of Act 3. Uh, and then... Uh, if, if you're like sort of following this logic, right, if you're like tracking these kind of weird inverted lines uh, uh, across from each other, the entry of Caliborn into the game uh, immediately preceding all of these new trolls uh, corresponds with like Descend, the end of Act 4 and the beginning of Act 5 when all of the trolls get introduced. So I'm just like thinking, uh, you know, historically, like in these discrete chunks where we don't really know where this story is going or when it's going to end, I'm just like what are we trying to say about like the story itself right like is this saying that introducing the trolls was a bad idea was it a thing that was done just to like i don't know like i'll put it this way the dancestors reading all of their stuff can feel like punishment <laughs> the dancestors feel uh <sighs> When when the trolls were made, mm -hmm. they were a way to lightly poke fun at common types of poster on the internet. Mm -hmm. the, the the ancestors uh, who appear here are a way of uh, taking a ball peen hammer <laughs> and hitting. Uh, very specific kinds of people who you could go out and find at this very moment. We could find m most of these people now, just to be honest, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, but poster Tumblr posters in particular and hitting them in the face, mm -hmm. right? Like it is such, it, it's fucking Patriot missile targeted right at very, very specific kinds of users on Tumblr as a platform, mm -hmm. right? And and uh, it feels it feels weird to use a word like this to talk about something that is like a you know aimed at an anonymous person, but it mm -hmm. feels cruel mm -hmm. uh, in that like if you are someone who shares like any kind of personality trait with any of these people, the way that they are written and the way that the other characters all treat them, because all of these ancestors hate one another, even the ones <laughs> who are in relationships with one another somehow, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? They, they all point out that the others are awful. Right. Uh, if you, I, I don't know. I just feel like if you were a Tumblr user at the time and you read this, you would be like, well, what the fuck, man? Like the, uh, the troll, the original trolls, uh, they, they kind of work because they are such broad caricatures Mm -hmm. uh, and they're broad of like basically on what we would call now like platform users. You know what I mean? Like they are a type of poster on a kind of forum, mm -hmm. um, you know, and maybe there's a couple that are like, you know, MS Paint forum style people. But like, you know, Airden being, for example, like the EN poster, right? Like, right. That's a whole forum. There are like thousands of people who do that kind of posting there. And then like there's a whole interculture of like poking fun lightly at them, right? Right. Like Carcat as uh, what we used to call the internet tough guy, right? right. The right. angry shouty guy. Like there wasn't one website where I knew a bunch of Carcats. There was a bunch of forums that I went to and there was one or three several car cats on every single one right, right. And, and the way that they uh emanate are 
di- it's different, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what is it? Knowing all these names is just awful. Again, what Cancri? Yeah. The specificity here of what if you took someone who writes like these long form Tumblr essays that's like uh, structurally, quote unquote, SJWing other mm-hmm. people. And then you gave them a Christ complex. Mm-hmm. And that was all text. So you're explicitly saying like, hey, people, people who get on Tumblr and like write these little posts, these for the most part, let's be honest about the real world here, mostly harmless and ineffectual posts. Mm-hmm. It's not the stakes of the universe are not changing when you write a piece that's about like, uh, you know, the way that queerness is handled and what we do in the shadows or the way that like. Um. Uh. You, you know. I don't know the way that like say ableist slurs are used constantly at the beginning of Homestuck, right? Like, <laughs> right. Th- this is not uh, a- an annihilative impulse, right? Uh, and there are not that many people doing it. But when you say that, that like, okay, here's that kind of person, and <laughs> they are equivalent to doctrinaire religion. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the other half of this character is, right outside of yes. these scenes. That is such like a fuck you move, right? And maybe it's a warranted move on Hussey's part. Like maybe they feel like this is an appropriate kind of thing to do, but it it just feels like of a different kind of category of critique and a different kind of category of representation to make fun of something, uh, as opposed to the internet tough guy who's such mm-hmm. this broad figure that. Uh, you know, it can be 50% like real behavior and 50% like unreal behavior, but Kankri is like 100% real behavior, but just pushed beyond the limit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You feel qualitatively different, and I think that if you like fit in any of these categories at the time, you would probably feel very hurt by uh, Homestuck, but that's purely speculation. Who knows? Yeah. I wasn't there. Yeah. So, like, I... What strikes me in particular about these characters, one, is, yeah, how sort of mean they feel. Um, also, how I, this is a, the, the the entire way the walkarounds work here is that it's all Tumblr parody, right? Characters right. speak in uh, speech bubbles that look like Tumblr posts, except for <laughs> Matuna, who has 4chan posts. But then they all have like little tags at the bottom in the same way that Tumblr posts work. You can also it's a, the, the parody is called Bubbler. And you can like fave them and rebubble things people say and all this stuff. Right. Um, there's also a horse ebooks shout out here uh, to I don't know fold in some Twitter stuff as well. Remember horse ebooks? Yeah. Remember how uh, it was so cool and everyone was into it, and then uh, it became a huge disappointment. Um, yeah, it did. Because <laughs> do do uh, did people think horse ebooks was a uh, hussy? I don't know. I don't think they did. I think, uh, weirdly enough, um, you would think that people would, but I think it was, I never heard that. And it's not a thing that even gets talked about in, like, the thread. Got it. Well, it's just, right. like, uh, so many other things I have now heard, you know, through through mm-hmm. the grapevine and through, like, having to pay, like, 1% more attention to the world of Homestuck than I did before. Uh, like, anything funny on the internet, someone <laughs> is saying it's hussy. Yeah. Like, no, I have people, now seen people say Drill is hussy. Uh-huh. Well, Drill and Hussy have worked together. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. Maybe maybe that was to uh, to make it clear that they're not the same person. But I've seen people <laughs> say Chuck Tingle mm-hmm. is hussy. I've seen people say Jorts is hussy. Actually, I haven't seen that, but I'm going to say it right now. <laughs> Buttered Jorts is hussy. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about that? 
Mm-hmm. Boom. Take that, internet. Run with it. But anyway, yeah, yes, but you're right. Sorry, not to detract from the point. They are all specifically Tumblr, Tumblr parodies. Right. Yeah, like the uh, the other kin thing with Cronus, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. multiple systems with uh, Horus, uh, all very sort of specific and pointed at uh, people on Tumblr. And this is the thing that I really feel at this at this juncture, I think, historically is like people who are younger than me, sort of considerably younger than me. Uh, like kids, right? I'm I'm in grad school at this point. I'm in my early like to mid twenties, and I'm reading. Uh, you know, and I I've talked you know fairly openly about like uh, uh kind of my own shitty internet history and having had a moment um, uh similar to what you've talked about actually of having a moment in my life where various things like influencers influences came together and I just thought like oh I could be a less shitty person. Like, I don't have to be as sort of mean and uh, 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 vile about things Mm -hmm. as I kind of historically have. Like, I can just be a nicer person and I can, like, do things in the world that way. So, uh, you know, there's something uh, uh, appealing to me about Caliborn in the sense that, like, you know, this bizarre feeling of, like, the worst aspects of yourself getting ripped out and, like, shoved into this children's novelty that for some reason you're you're reading when you're in your mid-20s. Um... Uh, but then also like that compared with, uh, the laser targeting that this section has with people who I am seeing on Tumblr that I'm aware of on Tumblr, but who are also like younger than me and therefore considerably younger than Hussey. Uh, and it, right. Cause and, Hussey's like a 40 year old at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I and cannot it just, imagine today, like that is like you and I sitting down. I mean, I'm not that old, but it's like you and I sitting down and being like, you know who we're going to fucking give it to? Those 14-year-olds that annoy me on the internet that love my comic and spend money on these fucking t-shirts that I sell. I'm going to get them. Ooh, Michael, let's get them. Let's make fun of them. (laughs) They don't know who Stephen King is. They don't appreciate it. Right. (laughs) I'm going to fucking get them. Let me make fun of them. Like, how? God damn. I mean, to like, I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting this off track. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, you're getting at the the exact same thing, which is just, I can't think of like, what makes this seem like a good idea? And then the thing that's really wild about it. So, I mean, here, here's a quote from the something awful thread. This shouldn't be surprising. I really do love how the entire thing is sort of a meta commentary on how Tumblr has taken Homestuck and fucking run with it, with jabs at Tumblr in general, the rebubbling jokes, and the whole SJW culture that sprung up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So here's how Something Awful reads this. They read it as, uh, and I'm saying Something Awful and they, right? I'm, I'm sort of projecting here because we get like counterpoints in the very, in the very uh, uh, thread. But we have, like, one aspect of the Something Awful readership who's like, yes, right, like, let's stick it to these uh, SJWs and all these people who annoy us. Um, There is someone else, then, who comes in later um, and says, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, these were a a send-up of Tumblr, right? Uh, But you, the people who think that this is a joke about the people on Tumblr, right? Like, that it's uh, uh, sort of pointed and malicious, you're the ones who are actually being pranked because uh, Hussey, uh, the jokes jokes were just as funny to the Tumblr community as they were to anyone else, probably more so, 
Yeah. Right. Uh, you ascribe uh, hatred to Hussey when all he seems to have is a perverse fascination. Uh, and I'm putting in brackets here, like with sort of like internet subcultures in the way that they like propagate and fracture. Right. So this person yeah. is saying like, actually, Hussey is, Hussey is like an internet agnostic um, and is just <laughs> interested in this stuff. Uh, and the joke is really about people who find malice in that. Right. Um, and then someone else says, yeah, Hussey, Hussey loves fucking with people, uh, but also loves fucking with everyone. Quote, there's an almost complete absence of malice and the more and uh, most of the targets are in on the joke and don't care. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is uh, that when I was reading that, that's what I was assuming. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, just because, you know, Tumblr's culture, as much as anything else, is about making fun of people who are on Tumblr, right? Like mm -hmm. making fun of themselves. That that has always been the kind of mood and tone there. Um, and that's inherited almost entirely from live journal fan communities, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, I can't believe people would care about this shit, you know, being the watchword of, <laughs> yes. of live, of live journal, you know, like, uh, um, Oh gosh, what was the name of the thing? Not, uh, Oh, the huge fandom, um, live journal community. It's going to kill me. Um, Oh, it's about celebrity culture. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I also don't remember what it was called. Uh, oh, that's going to destroy me that I can't. Anyway, it doesn't. Mean, yeah, but right. If like, you remember, tell me and I'll edit it in. OK, I, I, I will. I will do it in a bit. Um, But right. But yeah, like, you know, all these platforms, uh, you know, part of like being part of the community. Look, the social is predicated on its exclusion, folks, right? Like the mm -hmm, ability mm -hmm. to ironically enjoy the thing that you're doing. I mean, something awful does it too, right? Like look mm -hmm. at these fucking goons, right? Mm -hmm. um, being part of the thing, you know, the the most resonant thing about something awful now that something awful is functionally dead, right? I think there's like 10,000, less than 10,000 users on that platform or on that forum at this point. Uh, probably way fewer actually active posters, but like the re most resonant thing that exists after that are people who used to post on the forum talking about shit they saw on the forum, right? And being like, mm -hmm. look at what these big weird nerds did. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, buddy, you're the big weird nerds, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and so, I, I mean, that that's 100% how it reads, right? It reads like, look at these extreme versions of whatever reality exists. Like, look at these, um, you know, this... Uh, especially Cronus, right? Being this like, uh, so I mean, he's, he he's the, by definition an f boy, right? Mm -hmm. To pull it an back, f boy right? and an evil greaser, right? And an evil greaser. He's this combo, right? Of, of mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff because he's like, oh, I, you know, he's basically like the male feminist, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to take it into a different parlance of a different time, uh, of the moment, right? And he does so in order to like be very skeezy about women, which is definitely like a type of Tumblr user. And the thing, the joke here is that you look at that and like you're a Tumblr user who recognizes all these people and you look at it and you laugh. Mm -hmm. I think a whole lot about, I cannot remember if I brought it up in the episode or not. I think a lot about our Just King Things bonus episode on the It miniseries, which uh, is, uh, uh, he was talking about um, uh, Bill Denbro, right? The character Bill Denbro who mm -hmm. is like a fat kid, right? Uh, that's Ben Hanscom. Oh, God, why do I get... I can't ever. Ben and Bill mm -hmm. just kill me. Mm-hmm. This, this is why they changed those characters' names in the Fukunaga and Palmer draft. I know. They they knew what they were doing. Okay, sorry. Ben Hanscom. God damn. Mm -hmm. Ben Hanscom, little fat kid, 
right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, Henry Bowers, the bully, chasing chasing him around and yelling him, calling him fat, being mean to him, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And in the Tommy Lee Wallace in the commentary uh, for the It miniseries says, I think I did bring this up in the episode now that I'm saying it, but yeah. uh, but he says, look, you have to be very careful because when you make something that is replicating the real world, you know, like this piece of representational art uh, that is, uh, w- you know, working on some of the operations of like real social violence and exclusion. These are not Tommy Lee mm-hmm. Wallace's words, right? But, you know, when someone is saying something hurtful about someone in the fiction, but that is also something that that happens to them in real life, you have to be careful about that, right? Because, mm-hmm. the, you know, the kid who uh, plays Ben, he's he's fat. He's a fat kid. That's, he's chosen, he is uh, cast to play a fat kid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when this fictional character, right, as they're acting or whatever is yelling, you know, all these, like, really hurtful things, Tommy Lee Wallace, the director, says, you have to, you know, you got to be careful. you got to talk to that actor. you got to make sure, especially when it's a child, right, mm-hmm. because these things matter a lot. And that's kind of how I think about this, right? Like, yeah, everyone's in on the joke, and, like, yeah, everything's happening, but also, like, there are a lot of people who read this who are not uh, uh, in on the joke of the platform, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm saying, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think in the big, and, and certainly, like, anyone who's ever had, you know, this is just, just probably our experience, but anyone who's ever had a tweet, you know, that goes wide mm-hmm. in any kind of way immediately runs into, because, like, the first 10% and the vast majority of Twitter users that you and I interact with, Michael, are, like, internet astute. You know, mm-hmm. they are joking about the platform. They are this kind of Tumblr user, but for Twitter, right? Like, mm-hmm. I hate it here, those kind of Twitter users, right? Mm-hmm. But anytime you have a tweet, go a little wide, right? Go To go into, like, the population of people who are not, like, extremely online with a capital O, right? You start getting the most sincere and real responses to things that are often jokes. Mm-hmm. That are, and that are jokes that are targeted toward the in crowd. And I think about that a lot too, you know, contextually in this of like, yeah, a hundred percent. Hussey is making jokes for people on the Tumblr platform about the Tumblr platform and about the people who are there, and they're all big kind of broader parody or not broader, but uh, like laser targeted mm-hmm. parodies of particular kinds of people. And yet, uh, and most people are, or some people, whatever, we're going to laugh about that. But that's going to hit a huge swath of people who are not in on that joke. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't the the. It is very fascinating to me that, like, the furry joke became unacceptable or pointless or unuseful to Hussey, and then it became a kinning joke. It's the same joke. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same joke. Mm-hmm. It just has moved uh, targets because that is a yet more marginalized, or it, and I don't mean marginalized in, the, in oppressed, although I'm sure, uh, you know, those things intersect with one another. I'm not really in a kin community in a way that I would know specifically about that, but marginal in the sense of, like, smaller, uh, overridden, ignored, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that furries were an acceptable marginal group to point at in that way uh, on the internet before, now it's kinning people, right, who mm-hmm. are a part of that, or people who are multiple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to go cankery uh, uh, all over this thing here, right? <laughs> but right, uh, or maybe I am, right? Uh, <laughs> and you know, just unironically and, and straightforwardly. But it, 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 I think that poster is right. That poster is absolutely right about the intent of the joke, which is like, mm-hmm. everyone's in on it. Ha ha ha. Isn't it funny? And I'm sure that Tumblr users uh, of, of the time and of the moment right now read it and laugh uh, at the way that these characters are done. But I just, um, 
they it reads so much more cruelly. It reads so much more specifically. It reads so much more like grievances with specific human beings on this planet yes. uh-huh. than than any of the trolls do. Um, so I don't know. You know, it's like no one no one reads Nepeta and is like, uh oh, it's that one person who ships everyone, right? <laughs> yeah. But you read Kanker and you're like, uh oh, this is like a fan theorist who is like really getting hammered on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just feels like. You got millions of viewers. You need to be this petty and weird. Right. Right. Know. And like, it's all, and I structured this somewhat intentionally, right? Having this, ep- uh, this part episode play out in the way that it did, because uh, it lets us parallel it with what is happening with Caliborn, which is a sort of similar and also kind of different thing, right? Here is the specific type of fan that I have the most grievances with, maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. or rather, uh, maybe the question there is, uh, well, does Caliborn and sort of his function make this feel more specific and loaded, or does this being more specific and loaded, uh, uh, say something about what's going on with Caliborn? And maybe those are open questions. Um, but you know, Mm -hmm. like, I, like, this is what I'm interested in about this comic is the way that it's constantly trying to mirror and fold in audience reaction and response. Uh, and here it is maybe trying to say something about that, but also uh, as someone who is being folded in historically and also like as the object is built, am I just looking at the page of dicks and finding too much meaning in it, right? Because that's <laughs> Homestuck's other kind of maneuver right. to say that, uh, you know, there's nothing here. Uh, it's all just like a, a useless uh, garble of bullshit. Um, and anything that you see is maybe you overreading or reaching unless unless you look around and you see it's a bunch of useless bullshit and then you get angry about it. And then it's your fault for not having enough imagination. I, I mean, I will say this, you know, it's rare that this happens, but I do think you were poisoned by knowledge. Uh, because I, there are clear parallels here, but they are parallels up to where, cause I have not read beyond this, right? You know, sometimes we, re- we record episodes where I've read beforehand and I can kind of see where things are going, but you know, this is the limit to where I've read. Mm-hmm. And I can say that based on what I have like in front of me here, they are parallel threads and that they are clearly both about audience reaction. You know, mm-hmm. one is representing that audience and, and one is like, representing a particular kind of reader, which is, you know, Caliborn being a bad reader. We've talked mm-hmm. about that a lot already. Uh, but what's fascinating about them is one is within the the fandom space, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the, the dream bubbles that we've already talked about, right, are cre- clearly this kind of like reprocessing of the notion of fandom and the way that fandoms interact with one another, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then like digging deeper into that you know that's what's going on there and then caliborn is like this you know gray universe of nothingness that is about someone looking in and quite literally someone looking in when, when caliborn starts looking at all of the screens right at the end mm-hmm. of this part episode. and so i'll say like there are resonances across them but i would and they are parallelly happening obviously and they are kind of similar impulses in that both are meta moves about readership Mm-hmm. Um, but one is the classic meta move about readership. We've already done it like two times, right? Like <laughs> we had the original kids, which are or actually, I guess three times at this point, right? The original kids and that kind of meta move of representation of people on the internet and then the trolls and then the alpha kids now. Right. So mm-hmm. that's like, to me, the ancestors and all that kind of stuff, they are just another repetition of that, that don't, mm-hmm. that hasn't really moved other than being more specific and maybe a little bit more root 
Uh, whereas Caliborn feels like its own statement. There is nothing that is equivalent to Caliborn in the comic so far. Mm-hmm. Right. I, uh, that is true. I, I'm not going to say I'm not knowledge poisoned. That's absolutely probably true. Uh, I just mean like, uh, trying to reconstruct my own historical thought process, right? These are the mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. that I'm asking, right? These yeah, are the yeah, questions yeah. that sort of dominate like my relationship to latter day Homestuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, precisely because I I am sort of actively reading it and like noticing these parallels and wondering how they're going to resolve, right? Right. Uh, and definitely Caliborn. I mean, Caliborn. I, I think one of the other notable things about him, right, is that he is the the person who is put into the sort of parody position of having to read Homestuck, right? Rather than being a character who exists in the story, he is, as you say, like looking in. He's got a computer screen, uh, multiple computer screens. He's got a uh, trackball mouse that's been welded to the desk <laughs> so he can't move it. Yeah, Caliborn has some, like, problems. And I don't mean that, like, uh, conceptually. Like, he literally, the world is hard for Caliborn. Mm-hmm. Like, he has, like, a learning disability. Yeah, yeah, he he says to the narrator, uh, like, I've always had trouble learning stuff, and the narrator's like, I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's such an interesting, and then, like, there's this accessibility issue, quite literally an accessibility issue, with welding that trackball to the thing, and he's like, well, I have talons, and it, I, like, can't use the trackball very <laughs> yeah. well, right? Which is, like, played for a joke, and it's kind of a funny joke, but it's also, like, you know, you kind of, like, take a step back, and it's like... Caliborn actually has like issues in the world you know it's not Mm -hmm. like manufactured um he's not Caliborn is not just a hater right like Mm -hmm. there are things that Caliborn finds very frustrating because uh he has difficulty accessing them Mm -hmm. um and and you know I I guess what's fascinating to me is that um the it is opening the door well our previous reading of Caliborn is that Caliborn is just an asshole Mm mm-hmm but now what is kind of being introduced here is that maybe Caliborn has legitimate grievances mm-hmm. with, like, what is in front of him because it is complicated in a way that he has trouble with, right? Or it's written or or done in such a way that he has trouble with. Or he literally cannot use the the things in front of him. Like, you know, the, the caps lock and using the shift key thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. that whole thing is like, oh, that's, that's a fascinating, like... He he has developed his own way of of hunting and pecking that is very unique and strange, and he's very defensive of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the narrator. I mean, you're right. The narrator is is another hussy voice, mm-hmm. uh, in that even those legitimate grievances of like, well, I can't use the trackball is like treated as a you know a thing to lightly make fun of him for. Right. And and uh Caliborn asks, like, who would weld this trackball to the to the desk so you can't move it around? And the narrator's like, hmm, I wonder. And then Caliborn asks, was it you? And the narrator's like, maybe. Yeah. Right? Like, so there's a, a sense that Caliborn is being punished here. Uh like the the well, this is what I punished or punished or his affect that he generates in the world. Mm-hmm. is designed right right that that uh e- that the narrator the narrator here you know being a hussy voice right gets to plays both sides right like hey isn't it weird that you feel this way about it well who did mm-hmm. it to me well i did it i did it to you right and like if mm-hmm. it, like you're having a negative reaction that you're having an awful time because i did it to you but also mm-hmm. like why are you having an awful time right like it gets to play both sides of that uh um i don't know coin Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, and the uh, <laughs> the like, I'm trying to put this. The fact that like Caliborn is reading Homestuck, but a worse version in the sense that uh, he's activating these screens, which are taken as kind of visually homologous with the Homestuck panels. Right. This is a this is a, an image that Homestuck is going back to over and over and over again of like the inset panel that is the illustration for Homestuck is also like the web page is also like a glass window is also like a computer screen. Mm-hmm. Um so Caliborn has all of these distinct screens that he has to unlock and they're not like moving in any sort of order, right? He's unlocking them randomly. Uh, and how he unlocks them is he has to find keys that are just scattered all over this wasteland and then put them in these locks and the locks aren't labeled. So once he has a key, he has to like try every single lock right. in order to eventually unlock the next screen. So it's just like infinite tedium. And sort of like busy work, right? Something uh, like even worse than sitting in front of your own computer screen and just having to click the arrow button over again and again and again, right? Uh, the the sort of like weirdness of like the parody of the act of reading here or sort of like, I don't know, the um, um, like the ultimate act of like. Uh, the bad reader gets to read in a bad way or is made to read in a bad way, right? Not that these are like causing one another, but like, as you say, like there's there's something uh, generative about the affect there, right? The the way that Caliborn interfaces with the the thing uh, just exacerbates all of the, the bad feelings he's already got going on inside his head. Yeah, because it's bullshit that someone else made up and is holding him to. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, on, in a fundamental way, that's what the scene is is presenting to us, right? Is that Caliborn has a bad relationship with the world in these, like, little pictures that he gets of the world. And there's a guy there, or a figure there, right? There's some sort of external thing uh, who could make it easier, or could have made it easier at some point, and explicit, explicitly uh, chose not to. Right. <laughs> it's like, all right. Welcome to Homestuck Made This Ad Break, where we talk about uh, all the stuff that we ad do. Break. Uh, ad break. Yeah. I'm interrupting. Ad break. Ad break. Ad break. It's the interrupting ad break. Ad break. Uh, other than Homestuck Made This World, I don't know. What do we do? We're, we're part of a, a network called Range Touch, where we do all sorts of other shows uh, and talk about all sorts of things. Uh, and this is just the part of, of our shows where we let you know about that and all the things that we do like, oh, I don't know, Just King Things, where Cameron and I read through the books of Stephen King in publication order and talk about them uh, for a long, long time in much the way that we talk about chunks of homestuck here uh game study study buddies where we read books of academic game studies and and talk through those and like try to you know make those ideas sort of graspable uh i've said this before but if you you know are listening to this show you might really be interested in hearing our most recent well most recent relative to this recording uh, uh, episode on Stuart Hall's uh, Cultural Studies 1983, where we kind of talk through a lot of uh, methodological stuff that we bring to bear here on Homestuck Made This World, actually. Um, we also, maybe by the time you're listening to this, we'll have started the new season of Too Much Future, where Cameron and I play through the Fallout series and talk about that experience and, and how weird that can be. We're getting ready to start, well, we've already started recording on Fallout 4, and those episodes will start going live at some point relative to when I'm speaking. Uh, 
the other things that you can do is that you can go to rangetouch.com to find out about all this and more. You can follow us on Twitter at rangetouch, and then you can uh, really support us at patreon.com slash rangetouch, where just a couple dollars a month uh, helps us keep going. It justifies the time that I sit aside to read a lot of forum posts, and now, like I, I said a million partisodes ago, that I really wasn't going to be looking too much at Tumblr. Except that Andy from the Discord made the Tumblr Explorer, and that made it a lot easier, and so now I'm also looking through a lot of Tumblr posts, too. Uh, I, I'm, I'm doing the work here. I'm really doing the research, and, and any amount of money that you can give us uh, really helps me justify that and set that time aside. Uh, helps Cameron, uh, uh, you know, deal with the pain of having to see what's happened with Gamzee as well, I would say. That's true. Uh, but also, you you get stuff for that. Like, it's not just nothing. Patreon has all sorts of bonus content there. Uh, the Just King Things bonus episodes where we talk through Stephen King films. Uh, notes from Game Study Study Buddies. And bonus episodes for Homestuck Made This World. Uh, most recently, we've talked about uh, the film Saw. We've also talked about the fan adventure Promstock. We've talked about the never-ending story, which comes up on the main episodes a lot. Uh, and for the next run of bonus episodes, we are going to watch... Uh, uh, not exactly half, but a good portion of the first season of Lost, uh, and and talk about that. We're going back to the basics, Lost baby. Oh, well, we gotta go back. Uh, yeah, we're gonna watch <laughs> the first ten episodes. Yeah, uh, because uh, twenty five episodes is that's a lot for a bonus episode. That's like hard to fit in. Uh, yeah. certainly hard to talk about, but that's gonna give us the vast majority of the main characters. Give us a lot to talk about of the way that thing is formatted and the way it's thought. And I think we'll have a lot to talk about. R-E, vis-a-vis, concordantly, <laughs> uh, Homestuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that's great, right? Like, that's stuff that we go out of our way to, like, do extras on, and you can get our thoughts on those things if you like our thoughts on the main episode. And and I think for the Homestuck show in particular, like, all of these paratexts uh, bring something really interesting into focus about Homestuck itself, uh, uh, you know, by way of, of some other object. So... Look forward to how that's going to happen with Lost. The other thing that you can do uh, is tell people about us. We, you know, only really advertise on our own stuff. We advertise ourselves. This is it. And we spread by word of mouth by people saying like, hey, you check out this cool show where people talk about this thing that maybe you like or maybe you don't like and you want to hear people, I don't know, uh, uh, critique it thoughtfully because that's what we try to do. Uh, that helps. Uh, you can... Also recommend us to strangers by going to your podcast platform of choice and leaving us a five-star review. And if you do this on Apple Podcasts, uh, leaving us a five-star review that is also funny, uh, then there is a chance that Cameron will read your review out loud on air. Wow, I might do it. Oh, I got to pull them up. I forgot. <laughs> this is from Repressed Memories. I used to dress up as Dave Strider and walk around my college campus in my freshman year. I had repressed that memory until listening to this podcast. Five stars. <laughs> Cram zero zero. That's great. That's amazing. God, I wish that I could look. I mean, you know, I work, we, I, we both work uh, on college campuses, you know. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much life it would give me if I looked out the window and I saw a Dave walking around? <laughs> I would lose my mind. It's like uh, I saw a former student of mine sitting on a bench like at the end of last semester. This is a little story for me to tell in the ad break. I saw him and he was wearing a JoJo shirt. <laughs> and I said, hey, you got wearing a JoJo shirt. You know, I was talking to him. 
And he was so surprised that I knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Like the shock on his face that I knew what a JoJo was, which of course I only know about because of Grant. And, yeah. You know, Chip and Ironicus. But, and, and also uh, Darius's podcast that he had. But uh, <laughs> it's just very funny to me. You know, that the way he felt, I would feel seeing a day of walking around. Mm hmm. Uh, this is from Fortress of the Sea, five stars. Podcasts, they're good. For some reason, the second intro ramp, intro ramp up, literally gives me chills every time. I do not know why. Also, this is about Homescop or something. Fun hosts. Yeah, you can always, <laughs> if you like the music, you can always uh, go check out. It's in the description below this episode. Mm-hmm. It's in every description. Uh, Tiny Tachyon did the theme. Uh, and uh, you can buy those themes if you want to spend money, I think, on her Bandcamp page. Yep, yep. You can yep, do that in uh, a bunch. She's got a bunch of other music too, but uh, you can specifically buy these themes if you would like to listen to them independently. Um, mm-hmm. That's, uh, I think, just tinytachyon.bandcamp.com, right? It is, yep. And I believe all three versions of the theme are up there. Yep. But it's, again, it is in the description of every episode. But tinytachyon.bandcamp.com. Go to patreon.com slash range touch in order to support us. And uh, we're going to send you back to the episode now. Also, Gamzee's there. Yeah. I can't believe what they've done to my my guy. <laughs> uh, this whole thing about, like, whether or not Gamzee's god-tier outfit is real, and then, like, the implication in the walk-arounds, not even the implication, like, straight up, like, it's given to us, right, that it is, like, somehow faked, that he's, like, faked it with his ancestor or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, again, like this is this is where things get uh, fun and interesting. Um, I don't know if this was necessarily planned, but like when Gamzee first showed up in Jane's walk around uh, in his God tier outfit, that was the immediate conversation in the something awful thread was, well, is Gamzee really God tier? Or did he just make a suit? <laughs> yes, right. Did he just like pull together like the pieces of a God tier outfit and he's faking? And then uh, like if. You know, you never know what is actually plucked out of the fandom and like written into Homestuck. But this feels like that if only because it is such a bizarre, like specific, like fan reaction of like, well, maybe maybe Gamzee's God tier outfit is fake. And that seems like something Hussey would read and be like, yeah, sure. You know what? It is <laughs> right. But it is a uh, uh, really fascinating. And it also leads to uh, the. Uh, I guess the 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 canonization, right, of my beloved Formspring answer of evil clown power. <laughs> right. How did how did Gamzee do this? So this is on page five four eight four, and I just I love this uh, back and forth. Uh, Caliborn says, "How can he possibly still be alive?" Uh, you know. Uh, Oh, wait. So, yeah, he's he's like Gamzee has this is after Gamzee has been like shot multiple times. And now he's like dragging himself toward Caliborn with like blood spilling out of him, like blood dribbling down his lips and stuff. Um, uh, Caliborn says, I don't understand why this fucker won't die. He's a hilarious rascally clown. You know how it is with clowns. Caliborn says no with two question marks. They are notoriously difficult to kill for reasons that basically don't make sense. I'm personally not aware of a single timeline in which this codpiece-packing moron dies. What? What does that mean? It means you can't keep down the clown. Just a bunch of question marks. Uh, uh, Hussey tries to get Caliborn to say you can't keep down the clown. 
uh, and Calburn's like, tell me, like, tell me what that means. It means crazy clowns just won't die for some reason. And adventures such as yours, they tend to linger long past their welcome. They linger and linger and linger. And just when you think you're totally fed up with their bullshit and you can't take another second of it, they just linger some more. And you never know what they're up to. And they're always scheming in the shadows. And it's quite possible that whatever master plan they're hatching just doesn't make the slightest bit of sense at all. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how stupid the clown schemes are or how sick of him everybody is is he just won't die the 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 (laughs) monkey cheese balls uh writing principle (laughs) talk about tumblr (laughs) well and like this is this is what i love here right is like this is hussy kind of like this is what you love here oh i do i i mean i love so much of these this stuff but i really love like the the way that um I mean, the you know, why did like why is Gamzee showing up and uh, on on Jane's planet, right, and trying to be her guide? Why is he scrambling around in in the vents? Uh, Hussey, uh, the narrator in this section, you know, brings up the the fact that uh, Gamzee like sold Jane all those troll blood potions and then uh, you know made the the Tavris sprite thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Caliburn's like, or Caliburn doesn't even ask, but like Hussey says, I don't know why he did those things, right? Uh, uh, which is, you know, take it with some grain of salt, because obviously we've got like a, the, the actual author hussy who has got some sort of plan for Homestuck, which includes it ending in 2013, by the way. There's still more for us to talk about in this great. episode. When does this uh, actually end? Like 2016? Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, but, uh, you know again, sort of like my interpretation of this, like, I don't understand, I don't know why, uh, Gamzee sold those uh, troll blood potions to Jane. Uh, you know, the my reading there is like Hussey thought it would be funny to have that happen. And so it did. Like there was no particular reason. Hussey wanted to make a joke. And so Hussey used Gamzee to make a joke. Right. Like uh, and this is kind of my understanding of Gamzee uh, in kind of a broad sense is that he is at this point, at least. Right. He is both a character who is like doing things in the narrative, um, but he's also become kind of a plot device. Right. He like Mm -hmm. right. Hussey has taken this idea of evil clown power and sort of like enforced it as a metaphysical fictional rule. And now Gamzee can be used to maneuver whatever pieces or to make sure like certain things happen uh, that that need to happen in order for the story to progress. Right. This is like another constant move of Homestuck is finding like ways to uh uh like rationalize authorial teleology right through as randomness as stuff just happening right Mm -hmm. i mean it is interesting to see you know the stuff that we talked about so long ago about uh you know kind of imagining like the ideal theory of these characters right they just kind of exist in the world uh and then they ping off of one another and like what happens happens because like you know hussy's not really in control right you know mm-hmm. the characters do what the characters do uh, which really ruffled some feathers of us mm-hmm. responding to that in a general sense uh right which is just not the way that that um that i that fiction works to my mind mm-hmm. uh but uh but it is interesting that this is this is that right this is a um uh a, 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 I guess a POV character. I guess this narratorial voice is now a POV character, but a POV character delivering something very similar to that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like, hey, he's just he's a clown. They they clown it up in there. Mm-hmm. Can't do much about it, right? It's fascinating. Uh, yeah, and this is also I forgot the other big thing that that's worth uh, pointing out here. 
Uh, we have the hussy narrator telling Caliborn about his denizen, uh, Yaldabaoth. Is this a is this a word that means anything to you, Cameron? Uh, it's a word that I recognized when I read it, and I didn't know what it meant. Like I I've encountered this word before, so it's probably some sort of occult shit, or it's some name <laughs> reversed. I don't know. Yeah. So Yaldabaoth, also known as Sackless, also known as Samael. There we go. Uh, shout out to the Silent Hill fans. Uh, these are the names of the Demiurge yep. in Gnosticism. Yeah, I knew it. Right. Yeah, Yaldabao is is uh, not with the full thing. And that's used in a science fiction novel, too, that deals with some mm-hmm. of this, although I'm struggling to think of what it is. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. You know, I was actually going to ask you when I started reading this section, <laughs> I was like, remember when Hephaestus was in this comic? <laughs> yeah. And like people were going to meet up with Hephaestus and he never showed up. <laughs> and, and then like this came up and I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So uh, uh, if you are a listener who doesn't know anything about what Gnosticism is, um, it is. They don't exist. So we can skip all this. They know already. Based on oh, okay. the feedback we receive on this show, <laughs> they all know already. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, Gnosticism uh, holds that, uh, well, it, it can be Christian. It doesn't have to be. Uh, like there, there's like pre-Christian and like non-Christian Gnosticism historically. So when we talk about Gnosticism, this is a thing I think is important uh, uh, to underscore is that like really it is a whole bunch of kind of formally similar religious beliefs that a bunch of early church fathers looked at and were like, okay, this is all the same heresy. Like, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of how this works. Um, but, uh, the, the kind of core tenets for, for Gnosticism hold that, uh, the material world is a kind of, uh, a trap or mistake that was made by a, uh, deficient or false god, uh, and this is Yaldabaoth, right, the Demiurge. Uh, uh, Yaldabaoth is created, um, when Sophia, who is, uh, an, oh, I can't remember the name for this class of being, but kind of like an angelic being who emanates down from, like, you know, the one true source. Some sort um, of cherub. Yeah, uh, she she attempts to uh, uh, sort of she wants to mirror like the the act of emanation and creation uh, in line with the one, but uh, it ends up being mistaken in some way. This can this sort of like varies, right, depending on your strain of Gnosticism. The precise mistake that gets made here has has different forms. Um, and as a consequence of uh, Sophia's attempt to uh, uh, mirror the act of creation, uh, we get the material world that actually traps the spiritual in side of it, right? The spiritual, the sort of like ideal, like numinous uh, gets pulled down and trapped within the material uh, and the material is ruled over by Yaldabaoth, uh, who says that he is God, there, there was no God higher than him uh, and is, generally speaking, you know, uh, cruel, capricious, uh, does awful things to people and tortures them. And in Gnosticism, right, the process of salvation is gaining knowledge. That's where Gnostic Gnosticism comes from, right? Gnosis. Uh, and this is actually the, the charge of the heresy is that uh, uh, the, the charge is that Gnostics uh, hinge your uh, salvation on your knowledge rather than, say, like your actions in the world or like whether or not you've accepted Christ into your heart or something, right? It, it's, it, it's like a, a only the people who know who have the special knowledge uh, uh, sort of progress back up the ladder of creation and will eventually transcend the material and reunite with the the spiritual. Um, 
So here we have that get kind of introduced as uh, another possible element of whatever's going on here with, with the meta stuff, right? That Caliborn's denizen, the monster that he has to fight in his quest, uh, is a is the Demiurge, right? Or at least has the name of the Demiurge. And as we've talked about Caliborn, like what's Caliborn's situation? He's in this dead material wasteland uh, that apparently has been arranged to torture him. Yep. Yep, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's fascinating how this all keeps coming back up. Yeah. So, yeah, like, uh, we can look forward to that, and, uh, I don't know, to what degree is Gnosticism a useful metaphor for describing, uh, or, like, not that it's not useful, right? Like, uh, uh, Gnosticism is kind of a, a metatextual device shows up in uh, quite a bit of fiction, right? Thinking here of, like, let's say, uh, The Magus by John Fowles, a book that I like very much. Um, but, uh, you know, what is Homestuck's version of that? And, like, how is that kind of going to work? Because it is already so, uh, I don't know, like wrapped up in uh uh this idea of like fictional conceits like leaking into the real or like mm -hmm. the like the reality outside the text influencing the fictional conceit right? Uh, right to the degree that like intentionally you can't tell what direction that's moving sometimes so right i mean yeah i uh, uh you know speaking there, there's this uh you know philip k dick <laughs> mm -hmm. you know i've read something like 50 philip k dick novels and they are <laughs> functionally all about this right right <laughs> um and that's you know that's kind of what's fascinating about reading homestuck and like some of the bigger things and maybe what what my gut reaction is to some of these ideas especially as expressed by hussy you know earlier on in the stuff that we read uh or in the form spring stuff or whatever is like i've just i've been down this road a lot um mm -hmm. and i've seen kind of like you know the shoals that all of this breaks on which is you know ultimately the her you know the hermeneutic container right like uh, beyond beyond the veil is grace, right? And mm -hmm. there are non-Christian versions of Gnosticism, but I, I, it's pretty difficult to not drill down through Gnosticism into something that looks very similar to a very Christian outlook. Um, right. If only because, you know, the things that inform Gnosticism, even non-Christian versions of Gnosticism, the things that inform it are also things that inform Christianity, right? Right. Like, they are mutually constitutive in, in, in historical terms. And so, uh, you know, there, there's very little, narratively, there are very few ways for it to be not disappointing, mm -hmm. you know, in, in terms of, uh, like, what the, um, I don't know, arc of action can be. Mm -hmm. Because, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, once you drill through the exterior of what the Demiurge has prepared, the adversary, whatever you want to call it, right... Once you do that, uh, what is there to be found is God's grace or like ultimate truth, right? The brilliance of like true knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, both of which are boring, like just in a, <laughs> in a fundamental way, right? Like if you're if you are religiously attached to them, obviously that's very important. But like as a narrative conceit, that's not there's not the the place you go is in fact nowhere, right? The place you go is self improvement and discovery, uh, which like uh, narratively is not interesting. Which is why like the Matrix inverts all of this, right? The Matrix, uh, what, what if you drilled through what the Demiurge had, had created, right? What the adversary had made and you found hell. Right. 
Like, that's interesting. And that ultimately is not like, that's not the climax of the Matrix. That's the first act of the Matrix. <laughs> right? Um, and so, yeah, you know, the, these ideas get reprocessed into a million different things just because it's, you know, kind of a part of of the arc of uh, Euro-American philosophical thought or a big strain mm-hmm. of it. But then it's got to go somewhere, right? And if, and currently, Homestuck is structured in such a way that the output is the drilling through. And that's whatever. Okay. I can imagine that being very disappointing if that's the arc of the thing. But we don't know. We don't. We'll find know. out when we get there. Um, I truly do not know. Mm-hmm. There are there are some things that you know, but they are other things that you do not know. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't know what I know, and I don't know what they know. I know because I don't listen to the episodes back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want me to tell you about my speed hacks that I use yes, in order yes. to let's, get let's through get the walkarounds? Because you told mm-hmm. me there's like 60,000 words of walkaround. Yes. Not all of it strictly necessarily readable, but... Right, right. But words. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did, real. this is a real thing. I found a YouTube video series called... I, I, ha- I left it up so I can name it. Let's Read Homestuck mm-hmm. on the channel Voxus. And I muted it, and I hit the play button, and I turned it on two times speed. And between that and uh, me using the right arrow to skip forward five seconds in time, I was able to read. It took me. It still took me about two hours, but mm-hmm. I was able to read all the walkarounds in a fairly comprehensive way. Awesome. That's how I did it. What was your favorite part? <sighs> My favorite part, I don't, th- ooh, I, it, it's a little bit difficult because I didn't think that really any of the walkarounds were particularly interesting, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I guess my favorite part was discovering that I thought Cronus was Morrissey for a while <laughs> before I learned <laughs> more about him. Uh, that that was like a fun thing to be like, is this Morrissey? Um, I like the part where uh, they actively made fun of the readership by thinking that any of the chess people were problem sleuth mm-hmm. and friends i thought that was like a, a cruel and rude thing to do uh i, I actually liked when um who is the the ancestor for uh uh gosh the um two two eyeballs red and blue i'm uh uh Sullux, so ancestor yeah. matuna matuna i like matuna as a character yeah <laughs> they i mean talk about cruel jesus christ right like yeah constantly like uh mina making fun of his like speech impediments and things like that like gee like what a thing but as a character i think he's really great because he (laughs) is constantly perturbed by everyone he's so pissed off about everything Mm -hmm. and then he in the middle of talking he'll be like i don't fucking know who cares (laughs) right yes he's just so angry about it i I like that i like that maneuver for the solix kind of character um the the Rufio showing back up. Mm-hmm. I thought he was okay to give us a little bit more of his whole deal, which is that there's nothing there. I thought that was mm-hmm. okay. But mostly, like, all of this, you know, this is my thing about all the kind of character interactions that are just character interactions, is that without, like, things occurring, without, like, plot stuff happening, I don't really get a sense of what is happening other than these are characters and they exist in such a way, right? Like... Mm-hmm. Um, without characters having the opportunities to like make choices or characters uh, choosing 
uh, about or you know interacting with things in the world or like the stakes of the game or whatever, right? I mm-hmm. it's just hard to get a sense of like um, who they are or why I care about them. It's just reading chat logs, right? And right. reading chat logs just has for me an upper limit of like how interested I can be in it uh, because it's just like it is literally someone sitting down and putting on two different hats and then like putting on a hat and being like, I'm this person for a while and putting on a hat and being like, I'm this person for a while. And without some kind of external stakes for that, I just can't get that invested in it. Like, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm like a genre person at heart. Like I need Mm -hmm. to have a thing occur. Mm hmm. Well, and like, you know, it doesn't help that these characters, I think, are definitionally right. Uh, designed. <laughs> right. Right. Like uh, you can talk to you. There's a way in the last walk around you can uh, maneuver uh, Hussey into. This is a thing that I forgot to mention. So Arania has an exposition booth that she sits in at the end of every walk around. And you can just like once you get to the end of a walk around, you can find her and just ask her about each of the characters. And she gives like her little summary of them and who they are. Yeah. Um, and I it's did like these. It's, these I don't think these actually showed up in the uh, in the read through thing, but I did. I did these. Oh, I used a little walkthrough yeah. and got through everything. Yeah. Um, so it's actually it's actually the uh, psychiatry booth, Lucy's psychiatry booth right. from Peanuts, right. because <laughs> Hussy loves a reference. Sure. Um, uh, but in the last walk around, you can uh, maneuver things such that it's Hussy sitting at that booth, and then you get kind of Hussy's take on each of the characters, which is not much of a take at all. Uh, but something that is said there is like they're they're like one point five dimensional like joke NPCs, like each and every one of them. Uh, and again, like wondering, like is is that supposed to be a kind of like? a bit of chastisement for the fandom like you know the the other thing that you've said before that i think is very relevant here uh is sometimes hussy is like hank hill making bobby smoke all of the cigarettes <laughs> and it's like is is that what's happening here with the dancestors uh or is in some ways like this hussy trying to run out ahead of the fandom and just knowing like okay i've like brought in uh the dancestors uh for this little plot hook like this is i'll i'm gonna spoil something for you the ones that matter are arania and mina which is to say the ones that have existed outside of these walkarounds right um, like that is that is a very clear like structural like sign like a signal right uh, you are being told these are the characters to care about here uh, everyone else is going to like show up in these uh, uh, weird bursts of like uh, dropped content because everyone is like into it at least in the something awful thread you know I'm, obviously there are people who have uh, uh, qualms about various representational choices mm-hmm. um, but like the idea of hussy like oh man hussy's introducing more characters here we go uh people don't really well the people who are posting right and this is i think the the key difference the people who continue to post aren't getting sick of it on the other hand i have had multiple people tell me this is when i stopped reading homestuck right, so right. i uh, mean there there's something interesting too here that that happens where uh clarify some timeline for me mhm oh is that a question yes Okay, I I was going to say a thing and then I shifted gears in the middle of the sentence. Look, you can read Homestuck. You can follow me too. setting up an analogy just to make sure I'm correct. Setting up an analogy with the other kids. Okay, the humans. Yes. Uh, Carcat is John. I mean, not literally, but like Uh car cat is John. Uh huh. 
the religious figure in the past, like G- Troll Jesus, yes, is dad. Mm. Uh, and then uh, technically uh, Nana. <laughs> okay, but yeah, what I mean, yes, <laughs> Nana. Sorry, Nana. Yeah. Uh, and then Cankry is Jake. Yes. Okay. Got it. Or Jane, like depending on how you want to like trace the genealogy there. Yeah. Yeah, Jane. Yeah. Well, I'm just, you know, positionally timeline wise is what I'm asking, not literally. Yeah. Who there. Okay. Got it. Right. That's what but I thought. This is crucial. This is crucial. Uh, that worked such that uh, John and his friends initiated the scratch that reset their session that resulted in the flip. Mm-hmm. How it worked for the trolls is that all of these before us trolls, they just played their game and they ended up with a a, a null session just like uh, the original kids. So it worked in reverse. They turned out to not originate from the session where they were and they had to initiate a scratch in order to, to fulfill the conditions of their own existence. Right. Right. And why does that happen? Why does the scratch work in two different temporal directions? Because the plot justifies itself. Uh, uh, yeah, so the all of those other trolls that are showing up, like the in the same way that there were all of these kind of like different versions of the trolls uh, that we know, that we knew previously, hanging out in the dream bubbles because every time Aradia did a time travel maneuver, she was bringing like a beta timeline back into conversation with the alpha timeline. And everyone associated with that timeline got pulled into the dream bubbles. Right. Um, and it's implied that the uh, uh, pre-scratch trolls did that even more. So there's like even more alternative versions of these alternative trolls. Hey, you remember when I said I want to learn more about these people? Mm-hmm. I don't. Okay. <laughs> Like many, many partisodes ago, and I said, it'd be cool to learn more about these. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was wrong about that. Um, oh, actually, one other note. Uh, during the scene where all of the ghosts are showing up during the fight, there's a brief moment where Aradia <laughs> says that uh, kissing Equius back uh, in Act 5 was a mistake. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of text there. I wouldn't say I read all of it. Yep. I was just It's a thing that I noticed because it's like, oh, okay, here's where we address that. Um, that's a very but, funny scene, by the way, <laughs> with of all just of the more ghosts. and more people showing up. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you, I mean, you said you didn't read it at one point. Uh, I read two... some of it, but it just became so much that I was like, I kind of get what's going on. I don't know how much plot critical information can be communicated here. No, a lot of it's jokes. At one point, like Cronus is hitting on Aridin and Aridin is like really grossed out, but then he's like, well, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so let's talk about the other, I guess, uh, big historical thing here. The Homestuck Adventure Game Kickstarter launches uh, a few oh. days after the first walk round goes up. Can we um, can so- we pause that for just a second to talk about just some of the other stuff so we can end on the Kickstarter? Is that okay? okay? Yeah, let's do that. Because I want to say that uh, I think, like, if you if you asked me at this point to show you a panel that is Homestuck, uh-huh. like what? Is it? It would be panel five two eight one. <laughs> this is pretty Homestuck. good panel. This is Homestuck to me. <laughs> it is John and Jade in their like weirdo outfits, hanging out with this kooky cast of characters. You got a little salamander and a little imp who've been eating cake. <laughs> 
They got mm-hmm. little cake mouth going on. Everyone's sitting in, in this little house. You got all these <laughs> clown photos everywhere, clown <laughs> paintings everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's like, you know, and it's the beginning of the game in some ways, right? You know, it's like this little house that is yeah. uh, rendered in the little gamey way, the isometric way. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like this, I, I got here and I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> Homestuck, yes. I mean, that is always a really good effect of like, uh, like as later comic stuff starts getting put back into early comic environments and <laughs> right. like you see the disjuncture. <laughs> And it's also here too, right? Like this is the uh, this is the ultimate justification for Homestuck, in that this is like the what all the fans are constantly talking about, even now. For me to explain to you what is happening in this image would take two hours. <laughs> yes, like to actually explain like everything that's going on, and this is as far as I can tell, this is what the fandom loves. Right. Like an excuse to like explain to you the intricacies of like what the hell is going on here, right? Like this is let me tell you about Homestuck in visual form. Right. Like why are all of these uh like what's all of all these stacks of birthday cakes that are also like fluorescent blue for some reason? Well, right. guess what? There's an off-screen ghost who made them. <laughs> right. Why is there a cat ghost floating around that's also a princess? There's a a long explanation for that. Why are there salamanders? There's a long explanation for that. (laughs) Everything has like a long form explanation. Who's that little person in the the picture frame? (laughs) We could talk about that for an hour. (laughs) Yep. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know. I got here and I was like, yeah, this is good. This is that good stuff. And this is also like a kind of a critical moment. Like I would say this is more important than the Caliborn stuff. Yeah. Not this uh, specific image, but in a general sense with, with John embarking upon like, uh, something like character change. Yeah. I, John grows up. Everyone's growing up, right? Like this is the, 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 uh, time skip because we're now in year two of the, the battleship. Traveling mm-hmm. ac- across the yard of distance, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the time skip that allows everyone to kind of grow up and like be in relationships that aren't weird. Mm-hmm. I mean that because that you know utilitarianly, that's exactly what's happening here, right? It's <laughs> yes. like we got to age these characters up a little bit so everyone everyone can be in like a little bit of an older teen. So this is mm-hmm. not as weird with what Hussey wants to do with all the characters, right? Like uh, uh talking about on the meteor, right? Like Terezi and Gamzee getting together in in like some sort of like weird like black romance off screen like right. that happened like that I think it's still like we're we're gonna like I guess see consequences of that but uh that would have been a weirder move if they were still two years younger or whatever right. and then right uh I guess it's also worth in like big structural like terms pointing out that like John getting really irate and angry about things also. Uh, happens let's say it circumstantially simultaneously <gasps> with uh this other character of Caliborn the bad mm-hmm. the bad reader uh taking his kind of position right we we've got this kind of like inverted parallel thing going on yeah it's unfortunate that John doesn't understand Con Air yeah no John listen to the bonus ode <laughs> yeah John becomes a bad reader of of a good movie yes right <laughs> um <laughs> which is unfortunate yeah, no, he he like he he becomes extremely contrarian, right? He he's the the Malloy character, uh, who's like the government, uh, like the administrator who's there to you know thwart the hero's plans. Mm-hmm. He's like that guy's just doing his job. Why is everyone so mean to him? 
John. You just don't have it. But yeah, I just wanted to, to bring this up. I also like there are some hints now of like the classic good stuff, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm thinking here about uh, 5294 uh, about John talking about ghost butts, about Dave Sprite having a ghost butt. Mm-hmm. And then the next panel having this extremely intrusive thought about, <laughs> about the ghost butt. <laughs> <laughs> and you yes. can't get rid of it that that's that's great mm-hmm. i mean that's something that we haven't really talked about or, or if we have kind of in passing that uh there's something fascinating to me about so many characters in this game or game in this comic having um it, like intrusive thoughts be yes. a critical part of their being yep like they mm-hmm. cannot exercise them mm-hmm. uh and hussy goes back to that all the time and I, mm-hmm. I'm like, people have intrusive thoughts. That's the thing. But like the way that it's focused on here, like I think that, you know, if we if we did some sort of analysis of like what is happening when people have intrusive thoughts, I think it's a lot more plot critical than than you might think at first glance. Yeah. And I don't know what to do with that, but it is interesting to me. Well, on the one hand, it's it's one of the ways that like back in the days of reader commands, reader commands were figured as intrusive right. thoughts to the right. characters. Right. Of course. Uh, and then when we get to the trolls, we have at least two trolls who's like defining characteristics. And this is Sullux and Aradia. Uh, they have intrusive thoughts. They are constantly hearing the voices of the doomed and the dead mm-hmm. in, in respectively in their cases. And then like, you know, Caliborn has the narration of Homestuck as a constantly going intrusive thought. Mm-hmm. Well, and also in uh, Carcat, too, right, has has a very mm-hmm. similar set. I mean, it's not as as kind of plotty in the way that you're talking about, right, where it's like a, a part of their character. But I mean, Carcat's defined by thoughts he cannot get rid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes they're thoughts that are generated by a future or past version of himself <laughs> <laughs> that are implanted into him. Right. So, right. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to do with it, but I do think that that is a, a thing that seems under discussed. I, you know, I haven't. No one has brought this up in the Discord or anything we've read, but mm-hmm. pretty pretty fascinating thing. But anyway, just I thought that that was an interesting um, uh, this interaction here between Jade and John, and like Jade and Dave Sprite are breaking up, and then we find out uh, you know all this stuff between Rose and uh, uh, Nepeta. Uh, <laughs> nope, the other one, Kanaya. Kanaya, I can't. God, I I have such a hard time with names. Everyone knows this, but yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> this does, homestuck doesn't make it easier for me. No, uh, but uh, yeah, and Kanaya and this like epic moment of smooching. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just so like like talk about the deflationary move, right? <laughs> yeah, like I the, never has the deflationary move become more like powerful than uh, than getting sweet bro and hella jeffed after this epic moment right like i have finally kissed my like you know like lesbian vampire crush from space right <laughs> now to fall down some stairs bonk 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 but it keeps <laughs> happening uh-huh <laughs> uh and then the vent the weird honk from the vent shaft <laughs> right just the fact that gamzy is up there too and that's also a sweet bro and hella jeff reference uh yeah it's, it's such a uh-huh. such an interesting little thing i guess the other thing i want to talk about too before we kind of end on the other stuff uh oh is... I, I just want to say oh, like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. a historical note uh the the actual the kiss between kanaya and rose uh 
is a big thing because it is like, you know, confirmed canon. It's there on the screen. You can't uh, uh, look away from it like, you know, uh, uh, queer romance content. Mm-hmm. And the thing that just so bowls me over and sometimes makes this is, you know, having had the serial reading experience can sometimes make it difficult for me to know how to approach some things because I don't really know where uh, the contemporary fandom can stand uh, can stand on like when certain things become like non-spoilery or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh We've been talking about Rose and Kanaya as basically confirmed for quite a while. Uh, but at this moment, there are people like in in the posts, in the comments, like <laughs> weeping for their lost John Rose. Are you kidding me? There there were people up until 1025, 2012, holding down the fort for John and Rose getting together. I mean, look, anything could happen. The dream bubbles are a powerful force, but... Uh... <laughs> I it is fascinating to me that you can read <laughs> just you know right like the comic's pretty clear <laughs> but I guess some people need to see it right well and I think this explains at least some some part of like the the weirdness between like hussy and readership right uh and I've gestured at this like with the um the big switch around on the ships at the end of Act Four, I think there was this like long-standing sense that you could never quite be sh- uh, certain that Hussey wasn't going to pull the rug out from under you. Of course, of course, right? right. And so it's like, oh, I can still like you know burn my candle for John Rose because maybe that's where Hussey is going to take it all along, and this this all this other stuff is just a misdirect. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I guess I have two other things I want to say. Uh, about like content content that happened here just because Mm -hmm. I want to bring it up. So I think that uh, 53, no, yeah, 5315, one of the best panels in the comic. I want this thing as a poster. 5315. Oh, with, this is is, uh, Jack Noir, like Beck Noir, right, Mm -hmm. with the dog head. Flying over uh, the battlefield with all of the dead uh, 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 perpites and prospicians down there. Right. I just think it looks cool. Yeah. Like good visual design. Uh, like I've said, I really do think like the visual imaginary of of Homestuck is like not where it's at right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in the comic, I, I really do think like there are way fewer images where I'm like, dang, that's a cool image. But I think this is a cool image. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I want to talk about is uh so Tavros and Vriska or OG Vriska mm-hmm. are running around in the dream bubbles uh looking for treasure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like we we I can bracket all like the weirdness of why you would put these characters together and then like Tavros has this whole thing where he's like, Yeah, she was cruel to me, but I, I have forgiven her for that. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Okay. But the thing that I am interested in and the thing that to me is as much as a like finger in the air as anything in the walk arounds is 5395 in which Vriska basically defends apophenia, like pure apophenia as a way of interpreting things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is you just take a broken frame of glass and you believe that it maps on top of something else into physical space or like dream bubble space, which I guess is non-physical, right? Like conceptual space. Uh, and then you just act as if it's the truth. And then you got to like operate in the world as if that's real. 
like this is Hussey loves to in this comic make fun of fan theorizing. Mm-hmm. This is the ultimate making fun of fan theorizing. <laughs> you are just taking garbage and pretending like it's reality. <laughs> you are imposing meaning on nothing, on pure random chance. Now, this is a comic that has given us multiple tools, multiple characters who have internal theorizations of uh, reality, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of like uh, uh, metaphysical analysis, whatever, right? So, you know, class specs is one of those that's very prominent, popular. Uh, but even like things like circumstantial simultaneity, right? Like the ability to read pattern, uh, mm-hmm. you know, are reprocessed into the comic. You know, it's a meta concern. This is what the comic loves to do. Meta concern that gets reprocessed into the comic as a narrative conceit, right? You know, mm-hmm. an internal rule or an internal concept or kind of an ideological position within the comic. You know, Calliope, that's a number of the things that she told us about. Mm-hmm. Vriska is giving us another way of doing that, right? And it is, if you take it outside of the comic, ridiculous. Right. <laughs> It's uh, it's the the goofiest thing on earth to take a random pattern and be like, well, I guess the random pattern matches up with a thing that I want it to, and so I'm going to make it the thing that I want it to be. <laughs> this is such a rude thing to say to fan theorists. <laughs> <laughs> they are being made fun of so hard. That's all I have to say about it. Do people know that? Do people recognize they're being made fun of here? Oh, no. This oh, is not, uh, right... Like, oh, shit. And I think that this is maybe like the more subtle kind of version. Uh, the other point being, I guess, like the dream bubbles are weird in and of themselves. Right. Vriska's argument is that when uh, Lord English uh, busts a dream bubble mm-hmm. and it cracks out in the furthest ring, uh, like the cracks in the furthest ring are providing uh, like local points and frames of reference that didn't exist before. And so like it, it's uh, I mean, perfectly homestuckian in that way. Like the, the furthest ring has is totally discontinuous and atemporal. Uh, but as uh, it breaks, then we get like new things that are going to help us find the thing that is already there, but can't be reached because spatiality has not worked out such that uh, we can grasp it yet. Uh, and yeah, uh, look at all the angles and intersections and all the shapes formed by the cracks and compare them to our notes from the various riddles and clues we've discovered about the path to the treasure. Uh, They're literally on a red herring quest that's made by bullshit, right? Right. It's, you know, searching for your object petit ah, right? It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Like there's an absent sort of thing and you just like search for it. And in fact, like you think, you think, right? Like, oh, I'm on this quest and I'm going to get to the end and I'm going to get the thing. And like, that's going to make it all sort of locked together and work. Uh, but like what Lacan tells you is that no, no, no. It's you running around in search of this thing that doesn't exist. That is actually like the bulk of your psychic experience. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, this is, uh, this is a character in the comic telling you that the path that you have created for yourself, if you are a fan theorist, mm-hmm. the path you have, you are creating for yourself is one of your own imagining. Uh-huh. And that there is, it is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. 
and that and and ultimately Vriska gives like a plan here, which is like we have to provoke Lord English enough that that things get more broken so we can create more pathways, which is literally just poking the bear. We yes. need to poke the bear to get what we want, even if it's not in the way that we want it, because ultimately mm-hmm. it will give us more clues to get the thing we want, which is truly a red herring that they don't know about It is a treasure that they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Is a mythical ending to this quest, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, good God. Talk about talk about plugging the world back into this comic. Uh-huh. <laughs> it blows my mind that people at the time were not like, you know, like the Mitchell and Webb style. Are we the baddies, right? Yeah. It's like not that level, but it's like, are we the Vriska? Yeah. Uh, because they are. You are. Yeah. Like, if you're thinking about it. And look, we are this too, right? Like, mm-hmm. us doing the show is being poked at so hard here right we got we got hussy's poking me in the chest right now right, uh, right. It, and i do think it's very funny but right uh, what am i if not an arania here right just <laughs> like, generating meaning out of nothing <laughs> well and also just like here's your here's your lore dump historical context right right all right well that's fascinating that's all i think i have to say about these like things that uh are outside of the stuff oh i, I guess other than that when rose is talking about the apple juice stuff that's mm-hmm. another interesting meta moment, too. That's on 5404. We don't have to look at it because there's nothing really visually interesting there. But she basically, because Dave says, hey, because it it's Dave proper, right? Yes. Uh, so Dave is like, hey, why? I would like you to make apple juice. Can you make apple juice with your like concoction alchemy, alchemy thing? And Rose says, no, it's too simple. Uh, simple things are really hard to make. Complex things are extremely easy to make. And so, because the more shit you add, the more things that can happen. And that mm-hmm. also feels like Hussey just talking right to the audience, right? Like, because it is. Like, it turns out if you just take, uh, I don't know, the Zodiac and uh, create a bunch of characters with it and just let them start pinging into one another, you can create a lot of content pretty quick. And that mm-hmm. is way easier than making, uh, uh, clearly for Hussey, it is way easier or way more um, interesting at least to do that than to do a straightforward story of a couple kids playing a game with one another Mm -hmm. i thought that was interesting but i think we can talk about the kickstarter now if you would like to yeah so uh uh caliborn enter happens on july 28th uh the first update of this reading with mina in the dream bubbles uh goes up on august 30th so there's about a month between updates there um obviously not the longest that we've gone without an update uh but just to note that uh in contrast to the really rapid fire update pace of acts one through five uh Act six, even though uh, Hussey has plans to finish it relatively soon, ends up stretching out further. And we've got kind of these, uh, uh, you know, legitimate hiatuses on the horizon. So this is really where we're going to start seeing that slowdown. Uh, and part of that happens uh, because Hussey takes on more projects. And one of those projects turns out to be this uh, Homestuck uh adventure game kickstarter that launches on i believe september 4th so just a few days after the first walk around um the the run-up to this is really interesting because uh hussy removes ad space on the main mspa uh web page and this is a thing that people in the thread note right because that obviously all that's changed now um but people in the thread are like oh weird like the 
the ad space has just been uh, replaced with like empty blocks, right? Hmm. And they were placeholders because then a few days later, Hussey launches the Kickstarter and then the Kickstarter is being linked through the ad space on the main page. Uh, the initial goal, like the, if you if you somehow are listening to this and don't know that there was a Homestuck Kickstarter mm-hmm. with a game that was, uh, uh, you know, promised at the end of it, uh, it starts out just saying like, hey, it's a Homestuck adventure game uh, or it's going to be. Um, uh, our uh, funding goal is $700,000. Um, and if you, you know, contribute money to this, uh, here are all of the reward tiers that you can, uh, uh, be a part of. And most of it is like, you know, merchandise, uh, you know, starting out very simple, like, you know, you get, uh, uh, your copy of the game or whatever, and then moving up to you're getting like shirts and like messenger bags. And, uh, eventually like there's a tarot deck that gets produced as I think part of a stretch goal, um, so launches on September 4th, 700K is the goal. Uh, it is funded fully in a little over a day. Okay. So with, you know, just like a, a more, just a bit more than like 24 hours, um, fully funded. Uh, and then it just keeps going. Uh, it runs for a month and it ultimately raises, uh, just a hair short of two and a half million dollars. Um, there are 25 total uh, reward tiers, and uh, you you made a call a long time ago when John first entered the medium, and it, it comes true. What do you know? Homestuck made this world. Uh, people who support the Kickstarter uh, get beta access to additional uh, versions of the walkarounds when they're being um, uh, bug tested. Hmm. So people who had already backed the Kickstarter, there are two more uh, walkarounds after that. Uh, they're getting like the early uh, uh, access to those through Kickstarter, and then they're posting about them in the fo- in the forum in the essay thread behind spoiler blocks. And then everyone who did not back the Kickstarter is complaining about <laughs> all what of that a discussion. Brilliant strategy to mm-hmm. monetize your user base. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my god. I mean, so, I, yeah. I, that, that's such a fascinating way of, of leveraging Kickstarter specifically, right? There's something, right. There seems to be something like really qualitatively different to me about something like Patreon. And maybe this is just like, hey, I use Patreon, so I'm, I'm better, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I don't think that's the case, but maybe it is. But like, it, there seems to be something like qualitatively different to me about like, hey, we make a product that's essentially a service, right? Like we make stuff over time, predictably. Um, and if you like give us money, you get access to it, you know, and mm-hmm. you like fund that going forward, you know, it's like paying for Netflix or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Then like I have a one time thing that's coming in the future. And if you give me, if you pre-order that thing, uh, you can get something that I'm going to release to everybody that you're clamoring for, but you'll get to play with it first. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like, uh, like, I don't know, like preview access feels very different to me than like you know, what I consider, you know, like normal Patreon stuff, uh, mm-hmm. which is like, like kind of like ne- Netflix, Netflix, I guess, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not qualitatively different. I don't know. Well, I mean, what was interesting to me about this is I had to go and double check. Patreon doesn't exist until next year. Yeah. Yeah. So in some ways, Homestuck made this world. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. Like, well, we're oh, seeing, 100%. Yeah. And you right? can imagine a world in which, like, if Patreon did exist, Hussey would have just had a Patreon. Yep. And this this would have never happened. Right. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, people who are backing the Patreon are getting early access to these games, uh, which, of course, backing like the Kickstarter. Me, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> backing the Kickstarter. Uh, 
getting like a little less than 2.5 million. Uh, again, this is September of 2012. Um, and then Hussey, like the, the game on the, the, the Kickstarter page, uh, says that the game will ship in 2014. Uh, and Hussey says, uh, Homestuck will be finished in 2013. Uh, mm-hmm. and that just, that's a timeline that doesn't hold up, right? Like in it, as, as history plays out, that's not what works out. Uh, and in retrospect, this is just one of those things to kind of observe, I guess, right? Uh, in September of 2012, saying you're going to run this Kickstarter and make an adventure game with no real, like, prototype or proof of concept. The video for it is just, uh, the, the video on the Kickstarter page is just panels from the comic set to music. Uh, the pitch is happening, uh, and you agreed with me on this when I brought it up. Weirdly enough, it's happening in the comic itself with these walkarounds, but it's not being really flagged as that. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't to say that like Hussey is just like coming in and having no experience with this. Uh, but you know, I, I benefit from not being involved in this and having hindsight. Uh, you can see more being bitten off than can be chewed here. Like, 2012, late 2012, I'm going to run this Kickstarter. Uh, they're promising that uh, rewards are going to ship by the holidays. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Homestuck will be finished the next year. And then the year after that, they're going to ship a game. Um, and I wasn't <laughs> too deep into like n- knowledge about game production at this point. I was just kind of getting started on on the weird academic hobby horses that uh, I have yoked together. Mm-hmm. Um but even in 2012, I was thinking, like, that's a really optimistic timeline for game development. Well, you know, I, part of that, too, I, you know, I have no uh, perspective on the inside of, of uh, this team specifically, right? But, you know, I've, I've run Kickstarters before, some, some of which were fairly successful for the scale and size that they were doing. And I will say that uh, even, even with the most mapped out process for, like, making the thing you know, and making the um, products that you want and things like that, right? The reward tiers. Um, you are, especially in 2012, 2013, 2014, uh, everyone who did it without someone who had already done one on the team was set up for failure by everyone who came before. And uh, Kickstarter w- was, I think it is figured itself out now i think that the system kind of works a little bit better than it did in its early days but uh basically everyone who ran a successful kickstarter before 2015 probably mm-hmm. over promised they mm-hmm. over promised rewards and they went in the hole to make those rewards Yep. Uh, you know, I'm thinking here about uh, the Pillars of Eternity. And, you know, you can read about the development of Pillars of Eternity. You can read about the promises that were made. Jason Schreier's book. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting the fir- his first book's title. Um, anyway, you can check out Jason's first book in the Pillars of Eternity chapter there to just read about uh, how they, like, absolutely fucked up. And everyone is open about that. They hugely made mistakes as far as, like, how much money they asked for versus how much money they needed. And partially, they were cursed by success. Um, they they wanted to make a very small game, you know, of classic CRPG style, and they made so much money that they ended up having to promise more and more. It's really stretch goals that, that got everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And reward tiers in the kinds of products that they were promising for that. But that's the weird thing about Kickstarter is that successful Kickstarters in particular, and like I never, I never made a million dollars on Kickstarter or even like more than like $20,000. Uh, but the thing that gets you about that is that 
the bigger it gets, the more your project has to look like other people's projects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it has to become the more successful it becomes, the more it has to mimic the form and structure of other successful projects. Ultimately, for Homestuck, right? Like, talk about getting shot in the foot because the success of Homestuck as a as a comic is that it doesn't look like anyone else's thing. So there's no comparable object. Mm-hmm. When you put it into the Kickstarter form in the platform of Kickstarter, the things that Homestuck promises as as like a media entity, right? As a as a uh, as a, a franchise, because that's the pitch here. Let's turn Homestuck into a franchise of stuff. Um, it has to then look like other things. And so you have to promise way too much. Uh, and mm-hmm. ultimately, that mistake was being made at the beginning. It's very clear to me, uh, as you were just talking about, that the reward tiers were based on successful Kickstarter reward tiers from other products. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. Um, and, but the other thing is, like, it kept growing and promising. And as you grow and promise, you have to say you're going to do more stuff. And, like, <laughs> they were not up to the task, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a general sense. Now, I don't, I don't know the interior story on that. And I know that there's been a lot of like investigation and blah, blah, blah. And I'm really uninterested in that. Ultimately. Um, mm-hmm. I don't care about the specifics of the failure of the Kickstarter, uh, for Homestuck because I don't care that much about like the corporatification or the, the, the non-corporatification of like what pumpkin and all of that stuff that is kind of outside of the, uh, remit that I have personally for for this show, but mm-hmm. uh, I I absolutely schematically having a little bit of insight into how Kickstarter works and having done it and known a lot of people who have had very successful Kickstarters, uh, I see what happened, uh, and it, it it you know it's not not unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, all the other corporations that raised this amount of money were corporations. Right, like the thing that everyone in the Something Awful thread is comparing it to is the Double Fine Kickstarter. <laughs> right, you know, uh, the, the same group of people who've been making games for, what, 15 years at this point? More than that right. at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very, very different. And they ultimately delivered. Yeah. I mean, and the game eventually did come out too, yeah. right? Just yeah. not in 2014. It came out in 2017, and it was the first act. And mm-hmm. uh, like you, um, I don't have that much of an interest in sort of the corporatification and like i remember when the kickstarter launched i was like well you know like good for hussy like you know shoot your shot see what you can do um but i you know ultimately did not back the kickstarter because i could not see any way in which a homestuck game gave me what i thought was interesting about homestuck yeah right (laughs) right um but uh, this does make Homestuck, I mean, the, the it becomes a, a uh, what is it, the, what does Kickstarter call them? Uh, like their favorite projects or something? Yeah, projects uh, we love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, right. like a staff pick, projects uh-huh. we love, that kind of thing, yeah. Right, so it's successful enough that that happens, it makes so much money that uh, suddenly Homestuck gets a lot of, like, press coverage. Uh, subsequent to the Kickstarter, there are write-ups about it in Kotaku, in Wired, on CNN, uh, in polygon which may have just been the like the the like the game's vertical at the verge at this point because that's what the link is but then when i click it it takes me to a polygon page so i don't know exactly how that worked out um and then there's an extensive uh interview that hussey gives with brian lee o'malley the author of scott pilgrim uh Mm. in comics alliance oh in in comics alliance c on ca that's kind of wild 
Yeah. Uh, uh, just some like huh. interesting things that came out of, of some of that. Like, <laughs> No, Polygon existed. Polygon okay. uh, launched on October 24th, 2012. Okay. okay. So just huh. barely. You just got yeah. under the wire. Oh, so that's why the, the, the link that was posted at the Something Awful thread was like the verge dot whatever. Oh, okay. And so I was and then it redirected to Polygon. I was like, what's going on here? Huh. Uh, but it probably like it didn't have its own URL then at some point or something. Yeah, maybe not. Interesting. Um uh but um uh you know the in the CNN uh write up uh for example, uh Hussey, like, as you would imagine, like, most of these uh, write-ups just have to do with, like, how much money the Kickstarter made, and then, like, trying to explain to people who might be reading it, like, what the hell Homestuck is, uh, and they talk a lot about, you know, the, the uh, like, how weird it looks, how uh, impossible it is to follow, but then, like, how much the fans love it, uh, and Hussey says in the CNN write-out, write-up um, on, like, the Geek Out blog, uh, the comic itself is still under my control. I still make decisions about the story the same way I always did, but Homestuck as a movement is not under my control and never really was, uh, which is a thing that's been, uh, I think, quoted or pointed back to a lot uh, in in contemporary moment uh, in light of like the, the cult stuff that Hussey has said more recently, right? This uh, sense that... Um, the the fan base outstripped Hussey's capacity to control it uh, mm-hmm. uh, at some point in the Brian Lee O'Malley interview. Uh, Hussey specifically says like the the tipping point, right? Like the point where Hussey was like, oh, something like this has gotten kind of like bigger maybe than I can really keep a handle on uh, was the trolls and specifically uh, Otacon 2011 uh, that I mentioned, like the the huge cosplay turnout of Homestuck characters at that convention. Um uh, and Hussey talks about in that interview of just seeing these pictures and being like, damn, wow, uh, this is wild. Yeah, I, the, the the whole process is, is quite interesting. I mean, would you say this is the major inflection point of, like, uh, yeah. of Homestuck as like a thing? I, I would say so. It's really like it is the Kickstarter and sort of like. Everything that comes out of the Kickstarter, which, you know, uh, 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 many of the rewards do ship, uh, but people, they don't ship by Christmas, by the holidays. There are still people in, like, January of 2013 asking where their stuff is. Um, And then there are certain rewards that are promised uh, that I know just don't exist. One of the things that ultimately gets added as a stretch goal is, like... uh, Or not not as a stretch goal in and of itself, right? It's a thing that's sort of tacked on with... um, uh, as the stretch goals increase is like a, a digital copy of Homestuck. Hmm. And because pe- people are like, well, what the hell does that even mean? Right. Uh, it ends up looking probably something like the the unofficial Homestuck archive that we use. Uh, but this is interesting to note just because it suggests that at some point there was like an internal what pumpkin plan to produce a kind of official Homestuck archive. And that just never happened. Um and then, of course, like the game is is delayed on its timeline, and and that results in a whole bunch of ugly feelings uh, between sort of Hussey, the the creative team, and then people who uh, backed the Kickstarter but feel like uh, their money has been misspent. Uh, yeah, because just like nothing appears for a while, and also mm-hmm. this is kind of when updates start taking a long time, right? Right. And that's sort of like the other weird thing is that it this all is coinciding with uh, the updates not coming as frequently, uh, these long hiatuses, uh, 
all of it just feels like a a recipe for disaster, right? In the sense of um, all of these like lines of communication or all of these expectations uh, are at a fever pitch and also like the fever is going to break, right? Things are going to start kind of like slipping uh, and that's what happens. It seems dangerous. Yep. Uh, and this is, I mean, just some more interesting quotes from the Brian Lee O'Malley interview. Um, you, you've you asked multiple times about Hussey having kind of like a buffer or backlog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is what Hussey says. <clears throat> uh, You're seeing how it's being made as I go. That is the, the comic. And every single decision is committed to absolutely once it's on the site with no retconning ever. <laughs> Nothing is ever written or drawn in advance. There's no buffer, only a mental outline of ideas and key plot points to cover, which is all executed little by little. Now, notably, in this same interview, Hussey says, like, uh, gives their process, like, I have kind of like the plot beats that I need to hit in my head, right? And it's always kind of like a few months in advance uh, uh, in kind of their mental space. They say that, and then they also say, uh, and rather reliably, uh... I am always wrong about when I hit those beats, right? I always think I'm going to be doing something in a week, and it actually turns out I I hit that plot point in a month or whatever, right? There's always a bit of time dilation, and this is something that's built into the interview um, and (laughs) speaks again to kind of like what what a planning, creative process, production process, how does this work? Uh, The other thing then that Hussey says... The themes the story deals with usually flow in the path of least resistance as carved out by the forces of nature, which are represented by the greater interests and enthusiasms of the readership. And by dealing with those themes, I mean some strange combination of merciless mockery, shameless indulgence, and outright glorification. Uh, Shipping received the same treatment, too. Hmm. So... I don't know, just some, some base, like we said a lot about like how some of this stuff lands, but here are words from Hussey explaining at, you know, contemporary to these updates being, uh, uh, produced, uh, how Hussey sees, uh, this project working, uh, versus how, uh, we might be reading it. Right. So, um, yeah. And I mean, that's all there really is to say on, on that at the moment. Uh, yeah. Wow. What an inflection point. <laughs> changing the whole world mm-hmm okay well i guess we'll be back in uh what two weeks yeah in two weeks we will come back and we will begin episode nine uh where we will start act six act five uh and for that i would like you to read up to page 5682 okay i will good good